0: Hi there, my name is Donald Heng. I am the actor in Vancouver, Canada, and you can see me on shows such as Arrow, The Flash, The 100, Supernatural, and Two Sentence Horror Stories. You're listening to Kneel Before Pod. Kneel Before Blog presents...
1: Kneel Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Paul, the podcast that is not the fastest podcast alive based on how quickly I can edit after having a conversation. I'm your host Craig and we're here to do our annual self-immolation and discuss the latest season of The Flash. It has eight seasons which makes it the longest running Arrowverse show and currently the only running Arrowverse show. Joining me for this discussion as always is the man that seems to hate himself as much as I do, and continues watching and talking about this show. It's Andrew! Hello! Hello. <laughs> Is that it? Just a <laughs> defeat? Hello.
0: I'm getting myself into the most relevant frame of mind for the conversation we'll be having over the next couple of hours.
1: Yeah. Don't know if that counts as our spoiler-free thoughts. It might just be. But just in case it doesn't, let's do a bit more involved spoiler-free thoughts, I guess. What are your thoughts on Season 8 of The Flash? Without spoiling, because no one would want whatever's going on here spoiled. Can't you spoil it? We can talk about it. Is there anything to spoil? My thoughts can be summed up with various iterations
0: of the word why. Why is this stereo still going? Why do I still watch it? Why do I hate myself enough to keep subjecting myself to this nonsense? Why do the executives in charge of all this make seemingly no effort to actually improve matters? Just
1: why? <laughs> That about sums it up, yeah. I didn't like this season either. Although I did think it had merit here and there. That's the thing about this show, is sometimes it has little flashes (laughs) of quality and Mm -hmm. gives you a bit of the magic that... I'm talking a very minuscule amount of the magic that made it so great in season one. It's still in there sometimes, and I think I keep watching it because I do like the cast. They are a fun group of people that I do enjoy watching hang around together. So that's a check in its favour, I guess. I do feel sorry that this collection of people aren't getting better material to play with. I feel like Grant Gustin deserves better than this for eight years of, well, it'd be nine years if you include the COVID delay, but eight seasons of content where most of it hasn't been that good and he has to lead this show. And I'm sure he loves what he does because, he gets paid and... B, gets to hang around and just pretend he's a superhero for most of the year. But I'm also getting the sense that some of the rest of the cast are starting to creak a bit because Candace Patton's hardly in this season. And I was reading an interview with her where she said that she'd worked it out with the producers so that she could divide her time so that she could go home more often because that was more important to her, especially with pandemic restrictions and things like that. So I wonder if there's a feeling starting to creep in of, we want off this.
0: I'm kind of... Getting that impression. It does seem with a lot of the cast, and particularly the ones who've been around the longest, it just seems like they don't really have the same energy anymore. No. And it's more like they're just kind of going through the motions. And I'm pretty sure that's why Jesse L. Martin chose to leave. Possibly because he just wanted to do something else. Though... Joe has always been one of my favourite characters in the series and I'm going to be sorry to see him go, but at the same time you can actually take some kind of solace in him leaving this show to go off and headline his own one, even if it is another consultant detective police procedural.
1: That only has a pilot but might never go anywhere. <laughs> it might be one of those things, sometimes you see an actor leave a show and you don't miss them because you realise that they left because they weren't getting that much to do, so their lack of... Meaningful contribution isn't missed because it's not meaningful.
0: Yeah, I remember that was why Seth Green ended up leaving Buffy the Vampire Slayer because he just felt that he was just standing around as part of group scenes and having nothing to do. It felt that his whole presence was completely surplus to requirements.
1: Yeah, so do you have anything else spoiler-free to say before we just jump into the negative spoiler force?
0: Let's do that thing.
1: I've done something a little different with this structure for our conversation because they keep telling us that they're breaking up into graphic novels and I really wish they would call it trade paperbacks instead because graphic novels can be 20 pages long. It just depends on how you classify it. Trade paperback is a collection of things that make up a larger story. Exactly. In in
0: this case, the individual episodes of the show being comparable to the monthly issues of an ongoing series, which are are then collected in trade paperbacks, which are not graphic novels.
1: Yes, they could release the Blu-rays as the ARCs, because that would be great, just to break it up that way. They should definitely do that. And by definitely do that, I mean definitely don't do that. (laughs) because you end up just paying the same as you would for a full season, but only for four episodes or something. Let's not put ideas in their head. They're already suffering for ideas. Let's not give them any more bad ones. But let's begin with the first arc of the season, Armageddon, as I've dubbed the fake crossover. I'll give them a pass on this, because they couldn't do a proper crossover during COVID, as it's difficult to align the scheduling of different shows, cross-contaminate, cross-pollinate whatever the terms are they couldn't really do that so what they did was they rounded up a few spare parts from shows that were finished or people that had left shows and Batwoman for some reason oh. and put them all together and I think the crossover part of it was really rubbish because what you did was you got the odd guest star in an episode for example Alex and was it the second episode was on a screen and it's technically a cameo but you don't have to celebrate it she's just there to report something on a screen it's not even that interesting as information
0: and then we had the possibly second ever appearance of ryan Choi, who for some reason people thought to invite to this kind of party
1: again he's lying around he's not doing anything let's get him in supernatural's finished he can't appear as a ghost anymore he has to be the atom and he was the atom fair enough A more comic accurate atom instead of the weird iron man suit that we've grown to love begrudgingly (laughs) over the years
0: it was fun
1: i think the brandon routh appearance was actually the most meaningful because we're already used to him we've seen him on the show before where he already has a rapport with some of the cast so whenever he shows up it doesn't feel out of place but also with most of the
0: characters in the flash having backgrounds as scientists he actually fits in with them sometimes
1: you forget that though because barry's always just turning to chester to do science stuff you sometimes forget that he is a smart guy as well or supposed to be
0: yeah, well i'm not actually that clear anymore how much actual work he does nowadays (laughs) because he seems to spend all his time either running around being the Flash or doing stuff in Star Labs and despite the fact that he is ostensibly still a CSI I haven't actually seen him do much of that for quite a while
1: No, that's definitely on this list we will definitely get to that there's a whole bit on life outside of Team Flash.
0: Oh, sorry, sorry I should looked closer at that. No, no,
1: it's a, it's a bit of a tease for what's coming later. It's the typical thing for Neil Before Pod. It's we'll get to it. And we always do, unless I edit it out.
0: Or if we start rambling for too long, then forget about it.
1: Yeah, that also happens. But anyway, Armageddon, the first yes. five episodes of the season are a little fake crossover with some spare parts and Batwoman, for some reason, amongst it. So what did you think of this as an opening arc? The villain Despero coming back in time from a destroyed future and blaming Barry, because it probably is his fault in some way. Everything this season is pretty much Barry's fault, apart from one thing that isn't. But again, I promise we'll get to it. Is this his fault because the Flash runs so fast it cracks the earth open or something, which is never a problem we've had before for some reason?
0: Yeah, but then introducing big ideas where there has been absolutely zero indication previously as to their possibility is pretty much a flash speciality by this point
1: we need a problem it doesn't fit with our established logic but no one cares about our established logic anymore so it's happening because it's just happening
0: and it must be said that the notion of barry unintentionally doing something apocalyptic as a result of poorly thinking through a course of action is pretty much stands for him right now
1: yeah he doesn't think about what he's doing it causes problems. I
0: didn't really like it at all. A
1: particular thing that I f- found very frustrating
0: was Despero's attitude towards Barry. He agreed to give him however long it was to figure out the problem and then fix it and stop this, this destroyed future from coming about. But then he constantly harasses him while he's looking into it, which would pretty much hamper his ability to actually look into and fix the problem.
1: Yeah, he just hung around and said, told you, see,
0: it's all going wrong for you. And just as an aside, it also reminded me of something that annoys me about guest actors in American network TV shows. It's very, very rare that an actor who is Scottish or Irish or Welsh appearing in an American show actually being allowed to speak in their natural accent.
1: Yeah, and he's a weird alien so he might as well.
0: Exactly, but more often than not they're required to speak in the generic rp inflections they quite often just sound too forced and unnatural because maybe network executives have that much contempt for their audience they think that anything else than that can't be understood
1: yeah and then they kept falling back on the weird cg hulking model that they used and it was not good it was very not good (laughs) i thought tony Curran was pretty good though as an antagonist i just think his characterization changed depending on what the scene needed him to do rather than him being actually cohesive in any way which is again pretty common for villains in this show
0: he did well with what he was given it's just that what he was given was severely flawed and there was little he could really do to fix it
1: yeah i did quite like the building up the fact that barry was going insane and making it seem credible that that was happening to him. Like the episode where he was losing everything, where Star Labs was taken away from him, where the team started to mistrust him, where the public started to lose trust in him, where he lost his CSI job that he cares so much about despite never actually doing it. Hmm. All those things that were happening to him, and it it seemed like it was going to be a slight game changer for the show, as in maybe this season will be Barry, without all the resources he's relied on for all this time, really. And then, nah, it's all reset, it's fine. We're back to normal by the end of this hour.
0: That's another
1: big thing that often
0: frustrates me about this series is that there's very, very little permanency in any potentially big changes. There's always something that will allow things to reset to some manageable status quo, whereas if things actually weren't reset and then everybody had to carry on in the aftermath of everything that's happened, I think that would actually have been infinitely more interesting, because it would have given the story some new direction to go in instead of just kind of bouncing back to however things were before and then just firing out the latest nonsensical drivel that they've come up with
1: yeah all of that seemed like an interesting plot point and it would be great to build a season on that, that either he has to regain the trust of his team or find a different team or doubt himself in some way and he doesn't have star labs anymore and then Nah, it's all fine. It was all Thorne's fault, as always. Because it always is. Because Thorn never actually dies.
0: always comes back because reasons.
1: Yeah, and we talked about last season how they resurrected Thon in the final episode and how categorically bad an idea that was, but nobody held themselves to account for it. All they said was, yeah, he's out there now, we'll deal with that when it becomes a problem which it immediately does. The first arc of this season, <laughs> yes. it's all his fault. He pushes Joe in front of a train for some reason and then travels back in time so that he can live Barry's life and become the Flash for some reason and causes untold problems. And nobody turned around to anybody and says, maybe we shouldn't have done that or maybe we should assume huh. some responsibility for this. This is kind of our fault that this happened. What did they think was going to happen? It was
0: like exactly he'd just run off over the horizon and never be seen again and leave everybody alone. That's not how he operates. His entire personality revolves around this vehement, unquenchable hatred of Barry and will do literally anything he can to destroy Barry's life. And they're suddenly surprised that that's what he does. Ugh.
1: And the fact that they enabled it which is the biggest problem. But nobody points that out, nobody explores that in any way. It's just I mean, it's just thawing up to his old tricks whatever.
0: That's another thing. There's very rarely any kind of real consequence for the main characters about the decisions that they make and the potential issues with somebody's choices often not only seem to get brought up when the prospect of them being undone is there, and it isn't actually something they're going to have to live with and deal with, or accept responsibility for. And because that is just such a default mentality, it just didn't occur to anyone to mention the fact that Dawn is around is basically their fault.
1: Yeah, because there are no consequences, there is no narrative cohesion in any of this, it's just stuff happening, and that's definitely something that will come into play when we talk about the final arc, but it is just stuff happening. Yeah, well,
0: Overall, the Armageddon arc was just a frustrating nothing of a beginning, which ironically actually kind of sets you up for much of the rest of the series.
1: Yeah, I think it should have started with the fourth episode or with what happened in the fourth episode with the alternate timeline where Thawne is the Flash and Barry's reverse Flash and so forth. Because if you're going to play around in an alternate timeline that's going to have no consequences anyway, we might as well have explored this weird riff on the status quo where iris and ryan as in ryan Wilder, there's two ryan's which is confusing iris and batwoman are best friends for some reason
0: yeah which doesn't make slightest bit of sense
1: i mean it doesn't have to because it's a changed reality isn't it so it's fine i thought their scenes together were pretty good and it made me actually want to see the real ones interact as in from the earth prime present day timeline which we'll never see now probably unlikely it's a shame, but that's how it should have began, I think. I think we should have played around a bit more in this thorn is the Flash scenario and watched how that played out because it was a fun enough idea, even though you know it's disposable. And Barry and Damien Dart being best mates. Hmm. that was fun. You can't go wrong with Neil McDonough on these shows. And I like that they keep concocting excuses to bring him back, even though they've killed him, what, three times now? I At least. At least. <laughs> can't keep him down he just keeps coming back they just keep picking up the phone and saying neil do you want to give this a go again he's like yeah we'll do
0: yes, it's like okay and how malevolently capped do you want me
1: to be this time Want not you be kind of a good guy this time for some reason we just want you to be the angel on barry's shoulder that should be interesting give that a go i think it uh, would have been a lot more
0: fun if there had been more of that but it just seemed like he was just largely there to serve a narrative purpose yeah. To just explain what's going on and provide some badly justified metaphysical solution to it.
1: Yeah, because you had that whole thing about Barry's speed had reduced, but he needs to pick up enough speed to... I can't remember what he's supposed to do now. But he needs to pick up enough speed. I think it is just to run back in time, which is something he does <sighs> casually and often accidentally. So why is that a problem? So he's not fast enough to actually pick up enough speed to run back in time, so he has to circumnavigate the globe so many times in order to do it but the problem is the act of doing that starts tearing the world apart which ends up making armageddon happen but it's not the same way that armageddon would happen in the timeline that we saw before it just makes no sense because at no point has him running fast ever presented a danger to the external world
0: despite the fact that he regularly defies the currently accepted laws of physics while doing so
1: yeah. The only damage we've really seen speedsters do when running fast is to themselves. But again, there's very little
0: exploration or established consequences of that. At least for Barry, anyway. Not for anybody, really.
1: And of course, how can we forget we had a random appearance by Black Lightning, because he likes to turn up when he's not welcome. The funniest thing is, he's the only one that shows up. Out <laughs> of all the people that could have showed up. It's like, yeah, I was just here. Nothing else to do. Just... <laughs> Any excuse
0: to hang out with you guys. I remember this gigantic meeting hall that we very somberly established and have never used?
1: Where the floor is constantly wet for some reason.
0: Because it's atmospheric. <laughs> no. Or the fact that they never actually bothered to hire anyone to maintain it,
1: so the roof's leaking. <laughs> yeah, what happened to Gleek Keys in there somewhere? Who knows? Uh, we'll never find out. <laughs> <laughs> Although, despite that, I did like. Seeing Jefferson and Barry interact and talking about their fathers and what they stood for and things like that. And the fact that Black Lightning is able to deprive a speedster of his powers, that's an interesting development, potentially. I mean, we'll never do anything with it, but... Oh, no. You can do that? Okay.
0: There is a thing that Black Lightning's power, it's not regular electricity. It's some kind of force that's like electricity, but actually functions differently from it. But that wasn't ever actually explored any way that i can recall
1: just means he can use it to fly and tie people up with lassos and whatever
0: despite the fact that electricity has no physical presence or kinetic energy but it looks cool though so we're gonna go with it
1: made up superhero stuff whatever we don't really have a problem with that or i certainly don't it's just one of those whatever i don't know he can do this now
0: i do get that enjoying superhero media does require a greater than average level of suspension of disbelief. But that doesn't mean that developments don't have to be internally consistent or you can just fling in new ideas without any kind of justification. Because that's just lazy writing. Yeah, And it annoys me when it becomes apparent that nobody bothered to think something through or come up with any kind of explanation for something. They're just thinking like, oh, it's, it's superior stuff. It'll be fine. People won't care. <laughs>
1: I'm sure you caught the reference to the Doom Protocol or whatever it was they called it. Doom was definitely mentioned.
0: I did, yes.
1: Which, for those that don't know, is a comic book and animated movie story where Batman has come up with a plan on how to subdue the Justice League if they need to. So he knows a way to defeat every single one of them and has that locked in a drawer somewhere just in case it were were to come a pass. So they've adapted it in the way that the Flash does, as in just... Dropped the name and not really explained much about what it was, other than they do explain that we all agreed that we would do something if one of us ever went rogue. And then the Flash is maybe going rogue and only Black Lightning's available to have a chat about it and deal with it. But he's the only one that's useful anyway, apparently. Yeah,
0: because the abilities of the other League members, if you like, really wouldn't have been that useful in this situation. And even ones who are even available, because Sarah was, I think, stuck in the 1930s at this point. Then Kate is rid of a motorbike, never to be seen again. may in the future. Kara or Clara probably could have stopped Barry, but not in any kind of way that would have reduced her in power, though. So uh, he was really... The only one who could be called on to perform some vaguely justified process.
1: Yeah, everyone else, it'd be, stand still, we could kill you. That's what we can do, but not much use anywhere else. He'd be much better getting Ray in. At least Ray could come up with some science way of severing his powers or any of the scientists, Cisco, anybody, anybody that knows science could probably come up with some way to deprive him of his powers. In fact, all you have to do to get rid of his powers is get him to run on a treadmill and then it can be stored in a thing. We saw that a few seasons ago. Oh, God. Or maybe he's just so fast and so connected to the speed force that now it's impossible to take his powers away, except when it isn't.
0: Yes, well, it does always seem like his power level is a very ill-defined thing that is really just to the extent of whatever current plot requires it to be.
1: Yeah, because they do the mention of levelling up in the first episode when he stops the trains from colliding or whatever it is he does. There's some train sequence. I don't remember clearly exactly what was going on, but there was a lot of mention of levelling up. And So, okay, Barry's faster than ever. Great. Well, what does that mean? It means nothing. Exactly. He's so fast that he should never have any problems with people that aren't speedsters. Exactly. The only problem is that he stops to talk before he... Fight someone, which gives them a chance to knock them out or something. Yeah, I mean, because how
0: many times can you run up to an enemy, stop, declare it's over, and then proceed to get your arse kicked before realising maybe don't do that? (laughs) Just have them in a cell before they know what's happening every time. Because if nothing else, he can always use flash time because they never bothered at giving a reason why he can't use that every time now. Well,
1: he even does that to strategise towards the end of the season when he talks to Bart and Nora, I think. They go into flash time for a few seconds to discuss what's going on, and then they just go back to normal speed. So, what are you doing? I do wonder if the writers of the show should read Flash comics, maybe? Because it would probably give them some ideas. I don't know if any of the writers are involved in the comics. I know some of the Arrow writers were. Mark Guggenheim and so on wrote some Arrow comics, or Green Arrow comics. I haven't read a lot of modern Flash comics. In fact, I haven't read any in many years. But presumably the writers of the comics are still coming up with credible ways to challenge a Flash, even though he is probably as fast as... This version of Barry is, if not faster.
0: I would seem so, certainly. I'm pretty sure the most recent Flash comic I actually read was Flashpoint. Oh, that's a while ago now. Exactly, and that was, what, 2014?
1: I've read some since then. Rebirth might have been the last one I read, which is where the original Wally West comes back.
0: I'm honestly not sure.
1: Or the original Kid Flash, one of the two. They're the same person, aren't they? (laughs) Hmm. Because when they did the New 52 reboot, the Wally in that was a lot more like the Wally that we got in this show. That, yes, still exists... He gets a mention this season, actually. Just one They refer to Uncle Wally at some point. So yep. someone still remembers him in the writer's room. Don't know who, but one person is like, You remember Wally? It's like, Yeah, just put it in the script, whatever. So shut you up. You can have that one line. Now go make us tea or whatever. But you have to imagine that comic book writers are coming up with credible ways to challenge the flash. So why don't the TV writers just read these comics and think, Let's do that?
0: Uh, it seems like it works. Or at least take some kind of inspiration so it at least gives the impression that how this whole world operates and the powers of everyone in it have actually been thought through to some degree and they aren't just arbitrarily defined things that change one episode to the next depending on the needs of the plot
1: yeah just to finish off against the armageddon arc there isn't an awful lot to say about it but the final episode had Thon turn up and ask to be saved because He was about to be erased, he thinks. Or he definitely is about to be erased. There's some arbitrary time limit and you've got until now to fix the problem and he's decided that this final torture will be to ask Team Flash for help because they can't turn down help. And even a Joe fighting for that. Joe said, no, when someone asks for help, you don't get to pick and choose who you save and who gets to live or die. You're heroes, so you have to save them. This is the same guy that when he saw Harrison Wells from Earth 2, he immediately pulled out a gun and shot him. This is the same guy that did that <laughs> in season two. No questions asked, pulled out a gun and just shot. Him. There was no second guessing there.
0: It was like you, no, you're dead.
1: Yeah, <laughs> not even giving you the chance. Boom. I mean, we can argue that he's grown and changed since then. You could make that argument, but I don't buy that argument necessarily. I don't think that he would forgive Thawne in that way. And I actually feel like Joe would argue for the pragmatic. Look, like, just let him get wiped from the timeline because it's the best thing for everybody especially us.
0: Exactly, because he'd be arguing like, okay, so this might seem an immoral course of action, but in the long run, it will be better for everyone involved and the world would be a better place without him in it.
1: Yeah. And it was an interesting moral dilemma because it was between doing nothing and doing something. So all they had to do was do nothing or even just try. You always know they're going to come up with a solution because they always do, but what if they gave it a go and didn't? Would that absolve them of the guilt? Well, We gave it a go, but it was not to be. We couldn't figure it out. And I think having them
0: try and fail would actually have been quite interesting to explore because then you have the question of were they really trying their hardest because it was Thorn and maybe subconsciously they were sabotaging themselves because they wanted to fail because they wanted to see him destroyed
1: and that's where you make use of characters like allegra and chester because they don't have that history with them they even talk about that in the episode because they're on the side of we have to help him because he asked and everyone else is thinking no you have no idea what he did to us and you do have that you have that advantage of characters that weren't there at the beginning when all this went down so they have a more reasoned and open perspective on this just because they haven't been involved and
0: It's not a perspective that is very often allowed to come out in a way that's portrayed as meaningful because most of the time when someone says something that reminds you that they're newcomers to the team then it's usually like, oh you don't know, oh you weren't here oh you don't understand and then nobody actually explains anything to them. So of course, they don't view things from the same
1: perspective. And then you had Caitlin just, nah, die. Hate you. Just die. And she never shifts from that either.
0: And it actually was quite fun to seeing her like that, because Caitlin is usually the most compassionate one of the team. So for her to be like, screw you, just no. In terms of her character, it was actually quite a powerful moment.
1: Yeah. It worked really well, for once. It was one of those things. And then Barry is able to see it from a bit more of a clear-headed point of view because he has managed to get over a lot of what Thorne did to him. He's put it behind him a bit.
0: It has, but again, it just felt to me that that kind of growth was just because that was what the story required at that moment, rather than being indicative of any kind of consistent character growth that Barry may or may not have had.
1: Yeah, he definitely doesn't grow consistently and forgets things or changes depending on what the episode needs But I did buy that because at least when the show was still good They did the work in terms of him getting over the way that Thorn treated him and what Thawne did to him That is grounded in something for me It's long since been lost, but they did that early on
0: That is true actually To be honest, I'd actually forgotten that mostly <laughs> Oh, it's easy to because they've
1: buried it under so much other crap that it's impossible to actually determine what's going on. You had this moral dilemma kicking around and then Mia shows up for some reason as well. She's just there. There's no need for her to be there, but it's always good to see her, I think. Friend of the show, Catherine McNamara, remember? I always make sure to mention that. That's true, yes. She doesn't really know that she's a friend of the show. Probably doesn't remember our conversation, but she's a friend of the show. And she was there last time we'll ever see her. But she'll be doing that Walker prequel that might last a season or two, so good for her. And she got to appear one last time as Mia coming back from the future because I don't even remember why. She just did. She just came back to do something. Yeah, actually, I've forgotten as well. It was something to do with Thawne, but I don't remember, really. (laughs) It's one of those things. She does get to participate in one of the rare moments of the characters just cutting loose and having fun together, though. They go and have a bit of a night out when all that's over with, which is nice. Nice to see.
0: Okay, so everything is done. We've saved the world again. Let's go get hammered.
1: Yeah. Or Barry will drink a lot and not get hammered, but he'll just be there for the ambience.
0: This, or he might even end up getting drunk because the writers forgot that he couldn't.
1: Yeah, he would have some of that a thousand million proof or whatever they sometimes drag out. Yeah, it was good to see her. Another big thing that happened in the Armageddon arc was Barry gets boots and they try and come up with some credible story reason for him <laughs> to have the golden boots and they fail. It's something about they conduct something and he gets to stand on something and then it solves the problem. So now he has boots. Yeah,
0: just using a very poor explanation to justify a solution to a problem that didn't exist
1: yeah and you may have noticed or you may not have noticed reverse flash has boots and they didn't need a story arc to give him his costume (laughs) shoes and then they serve no purpose later in the season either he just wears them now i remember during the maybe first fandom they did first or second they were talking about adding things to the flash costume and The showrunners promised Grant Gustin that the costume would eventually have boots included and he was going to find a story reason for them to do that and it was going to be a big moment and stuff and I guess they did find a story reason for it but it's as meaningless as anything else because they don't do anything after that point so does he need to wear them after that point no and maybe if he just said I kind of like them I'm going to keep these around that would have possibly been enough. But it was just so you could stamp on someone. That's essentially why you got them. <laughs> a lot of rubbish. But then the gosh has boots now. At least we went a season without having a new costume, I suppose. Completely new costume. We got an addition to it, but not a new costume completely. Yeah, it isn't very often that actually happens. Yeah, they did that. And they managed to sever Thawne's connection to the negative speed force, which apparently stops him from being erased somehow. And they just do that by zapping him. It's easy enough. Again, because reasons. That's how this works. Yeah, doesn't make any sense, but we'll just go with it. Then he can go hang around in Le because that's where criminals go sometimes. Yeah, because that's now apparently an Argus prison. Well, it always was because Slade was there for a bit.
0: Yeah, but more meaning more in in terms of it must have more practical sites at their disposal to establish its prisons instead of having it on an island whose main significance is the fact that. That's where Oliver Queen was marooned.
1: Yeah, I suppose with Slade it was set up as a rudimentary prison by Argus. And the whole point was, I'm going to stick you back here. It was a bit of poetic justice.
0: Exactly. This is what you get for being a psychotic drug-addled murderer.
1: Yeah. But don't worry, we'll be friends again in like three seasons. We'll be fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a very minor gripe, but just one that kind of jumped out at me.
1: Which is fair. So after Armageddon, we had a few episodes of filler meandering stuff. We had one that was Bart and Nora traveling back in time to just before season one when Barry's in a coma and they end up making a mess of things and ruining the future. Like father, like son and daughter, I suppose. Pretty much, yeah. It's a pretty part of the course for any kind of space or time travel. Yeah. And what I liked about that episode is it was off format. I keep talking about how the Flash should do more of this. And I'm talking about they should have done that way back. For example, you have a day in the life of Jesse Quick or something like that. How is she adjusting to a new universe? How is she fitting in? How is she becoming a hero? Just do it from her perspective. And a lot of my favourite episodes of different shows are the ones that are from the perspective of different characters, because it gives you a view of our characters from a different point of view. A great example, the one I always refer to is Buffy's The Zeppo, which is a yes. Xander-centric episode, and he's running around not being all that useful while i season finale is essentially happening (laughs) off to the side and it makes fun of the fact of these huge state and xander's just zipping in and out of it and of course you have lower decks on star trek the next generation which is again a great example of that stuff like that i think those are great types of episodes and i don't think the Bartonora episode gives you that because there's very little interaction with the actual main cast the only actor that really shows up for it is eddie Rick Cosnett and Joe, I suppose. He's there a little bit, but Eddie is there. And I guess that was, they could film that episode while the other actors were filming other episodes or taking a break or something like that. So they could essentially do this one with a reduced workload for the other actors and make an episode out of it. And again, that's what these episodes are sometimes birthed from, aren't they? They're birthed from a limitation that they need to get around.
0: Exactly. And sometimes big universe changes that end up fundamentally altering a property come about as a result of having to work around with production. One of my favourite examples of that is that Kryptonite in Superman was first invented as a concept to completely incapacitate Clark so the guy who was voicing him on the 40s radio show could actually have a holiday to explain his absence and it's since become a fundamental aspect
1: of that uh, character's lore. Yeah, if that never happened, imagine what Smallville would have been like. It would just never have happened. Right.
0: <laughs> no, had to with some other mass-empowering alien meteorite thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: What did you think of the Bart and Nora solo adventure episode?
0: I appreciate the effort to try and do something a little bit different. And I do really like Nora as its character. Bart, I'm... Um, a bit more ambivalent about, but that's just largely because he hasn't been around for as long, at least from our perspective, anyway. Yeah,
1: this is a different Nora who's basically exactly the same.
0: Yeah, I can't even be bothered mentally processing those kind of technicalities <laughs> anymore because there's nothing to be gained from it.
1: No, you can't tell the difference, really. She talks about being a bit more experienced, and I suppose she is a bit more careful than the original.
0: Yeah, she isn't as impulsive as the other Nora, but personality wise, she is effectively the same
1: yeah she's the same person and I suppose she's benefited from being the big sister so she's had to be the more mature one where Bart is the well his name is Impulse isn't it I
0: was just going to say yeah exactly and it's his fault essentially that things break and then to fix it have to utilize the tried and true time travel sci-fi concept of getting help from a contemporary
1: hot nerdy lady scientist who has a transparent board to write on because that's mandatory you need that
0: yes well how else would they be able to be filmed dramatically from the opposite side of it while scrolling meaningless scientific notation
1: yeah the thing that bugged me about that episode is it wasn't pre-season one enough as in The world has, from the perspective of everybody that lives in it, has gotten a lot weirder since The Flash appeared. That was the whole idea. Green Arrow was a vigilante, or The Arrow, or The Hood, or whatever he was being called at the time. And that was essentially weird enough. And then you have The Flash and superpowers start becoming the norm, and apocalypses rain down on Central City once a week, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That starts to lurch into normality. But before season one, it's all theoretical, it's all outlandish it's all out there I forget the name of the scientist but I don't think she reacted in that way it just didn't seem like her entire world had been upended it just seemed like it's matter to encounter this I guess
0: yeah it wasn't even much of excitement I was like oh my god this validates all my theories even something like that would have rung true a bit more that that's where people's perspective regarding preternatural abilities would be at that point chronologically rather than her seeming like a transplant from five years in the future where everyone just takes it in their stride now
1: yeah and then she's never seen again after that point. So what's the point?
0: Yeah, guess she was basically just a substitute science nerd who isn't one of the regular science nerds.
1: Yeah, and I'm just thinking about this now, and it's just come to my mind now, but wouldn't it have made sense for that to be Mina?
0: Yes, actually.
1: So then it suddenly makes sense why she's been working on this, other yeah, than the that- fact there's speedsters everywhere. But that could have been the genesis of that. They could have changed the timeline and made the Mina thing possible.
0: Exactly, and and Minia's appearance later as a spacer would have been less random, but rather would have actually been a payoff to the earlier event.
1: Yeah, but it was fine as episodes go. It didn't really have much impact as such. I did like seeing Eddie again. That was good. I've
0: got to be honest, I always forget about him until the plot has caused for him to reappear. But it's like, oh yeah, he was there, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, well, he appeared a couple of times in season two, either through time travel or some weird vision stuff. And then he hasn't really been seen since.
0: He's someone whose initial presence is no longer relevant in any way. He served his purpose and then just kind of completely forgotten about.
1: It turns out, as a manifestation points out, his sacrifice was utterly meaningless. Because he did it to get rid of Thawne and it didn't work.
0: Exactly. And as I have mentioned previously on this podcast, it still irritates me that that was never adequately justified. We'll
1: talk about that. Definitely. That is quite a thing yes it is and we see pre-season one iris in that episode as well don't we we see their first date or almost first date they're about to go on it
0: yeah and i actually would have liked it if we had seen a bit more of iris and eddie's relationship just because it was something that was so significant in the first season but now is effectively meaningless but to have some kind of indication of exactly what it was about eddie that iris found so appealing because is that, that isn't Something that they really dealt with that much because it was always inevitable that Barry and Iris were going to end up together sooner or later. So it seemed that anybody else who they were with along the way was just kind of marking time. But to have actually explored that relationship it would have followed the theme of the episode of showing perspectives that we haven't seen before
1: i think the purpose of that was to serve as a reminder because you just said you keep forgetting he was in the show so i wonder if it was just to serve a reminder for when the grief manifestation of him shows up later in the season to give you some context for that conversation because there are probably a lot of fans of the show that don't remember season one because if you did remember season one you would surely not enjoy this iteration of the show.
0: <laughs> I remember when The Flash first started it was actually one of my favourite series. Yeah, it was great. And there were times when I was actually enjoying it more than Arrow.
1: Well Arrow was in its difficult period at that point, wasn't it, season three? The arc with Rachel Gould. Yeah. Which I think I'd its moments but season three was overall pretty iffy but we're not talking about that there yep. wasn't a podcast about that that was before the podcast even started it was when i was just watching tv and writing about it actually uh simpler times simpler times times where i had a bit more free time not much but a bit more <laughs> so yeah bart and Nora time travel episode could have actually been significant could have introduced mina could have given you greater context for the eddie iris relationship as was but it didn't do that just an opportunity for some hijinks
0: It didn't do any of that.
1: I did quite enjoy when they saved Joe and Bart gave him that kiss on the cheek. When time resumed normal functioning, as in from our perspective or from Joe's perspective, he felt the wetness on his cheek and he was like, what's going on? It was a really good little moment. Little moments like that that they don't really do much of. I think that's the thing that Bart can bring to it, actually. He will have a bit of fun while he's doing saves. A bit of personality. You don't see very much of that from Team Flash they just can run and do stuff and then leave.
0: Yeah, because they'll take themselves far too seriously, and because of that, it's a bit difficult for the audience to have much fun with them when themselves aren't having much fun with anything.
1: Yeah, the only other note I have for the what do call it, the meandering episode. I suppose it's the first setup of the Death Storm arc, actually, because of the wrongful accusation. But the Jacob Birch character, him being wrongfully accused of burning people alive, and then Team Flash have to fight their preconceived notions about his guilt and so on because he is convicted as guilty before and he has a criminal record and then it just so happens that all this is taking place on what would have been Henry Allen's birthday so Barry's thinking about wrongful accusations at the time and he's the one that's really fighting to prove this guy's innocence and there's the question over is he seeing what he wants to see or is he actually innocent? Of course Barry is right because the show can't do anything interesting in other ways but I found it quite an interesting story but more so on how it deals with the Flash as an entity or as a hero's relationship with the police. As in Captain Kramer, she says, We don't know what to do with criminals sometimes, because often the Flash will just dump them in a cell and then leave. So we don't know. We don't know what to charge them with. We don't know what they've done. We just know that they're criminals, or we don't even know that. So that's a problem.
0: Yeah, and there's not really a whole hell of a lot of due process going on. Okay, okay, so here's a criminal. They're guilty. Deal with them. That's not how this works.
1: Why are they guilty? Because I said so. But what did they do? Well, nothing, because I stopped them from doing it. Okay, so they didn't do anything. Like <laughs> but they tried to do something. But well, where's the proof? Uh, I don't know. Because none of the facilities that people rob have cameras, apparently. So we don't... <laughs> <laughs> Insane. It's an interesting idea. And I remember when Supergirl attempted that, when you had, was it Maggie talking about the Supergirl defense? As in, criminals were talking about being unfairly treated by Supergirl who attacked them or whatever. And it ended up putting people back on the streets because they had nothing to convict them with. And that's the same idea here. However, this isn't a story that should be telling in season eight of a television show about a superhero. (laughs) This is a story you need to tell in season one or two when he's just starting out. We didn't do this story before and we got around it by the fact that it was Joe. So I'm guessing he was fudging some paperwork to make it work because he knew exactly what was going on. And I guess you had Barry doing that a bit as well because of the CSI stuff. So he was, I'm not going to say planting evidence, but there must have been some fudging going on because they knew the truth, but they could only be so creative with it. Whereas at that point, Barry didn't have the same relationship with the police. So I think Joe being involved would be a part of that. But at the same time, that's an episode in itself in season one or two. The Flash has to figure out a way to prove that these criminals are guilty so they don't get let free and to do it again. How do we do that? How do we make this stick? And that's a great problem for a hero, especially a speedster as well, because he can just run in, grab them and take them to a cell, but that's not how the justice system works.
0: And uh, another thing to consider is that if Barry and Joe were fudging paperwork a bit to ensure the convictions, then it's quite probable that over time somebody will notice um, that the signatures of the same officers kind of crop up on the paperwork of convicted metahumans and might start investigating that.
1: Yeah, but that would be a very normal problem involving the day jobs that the show could play with, and they're just not interested in that anymore. Sadly. And it's something that you sort of hand-wave away in these shows as well. We tend to forget that they don't really tell those kinds of stories. Arrow, they got around it a bit by Oliver would always catch them in the act, and then he would leave them at the scene of the crime with evidence that they were committing said crime.
0: Or in the first season, he just killed them. Yeah,
1: sometimes. So that explains how they end up in prison and how they end up going through the whole justice system. But in the flash, they don't do that because Barry just carts them off and then drops them off somewhere. But again, it's season eight. This is a season one or two problem. And then they completely negate said problem because he ends up just revealing his identity, Kramer, anyway. So she just decides, okay, I'll just cover for you now and then. That's fine. It's really frustrating when every
0: now and then, some plot lines get put in that give an indication that somebody has actually made the effort to think this through slightly and realise that this setup as presented doesn't quite hold up, and then actually acknowledging this, and then just come up with some random catch-all solution that means they don't have to think about it again.
1: Yeah, because in that episode you had Barry saying, I'm going to go off to CCPD and do some paperwork and make sure this conviction does stick because it's important. And you have that, yeah, okay, he has to work a bit harder in his day job to make what he does as a Flash matter it both conflicts and complements what he's doing in both roles and that's a really interesting issue that he has to deal with again as a speedster he can't outrun this he has to put some work in on both identities to make this work and then he doesn't just as quickly as they raise it they drop it it reminds me in the final season of Smallville where they suddenly decide we should probably come up with a disguise now <laughs> but everybody's seen him without glasses how do we get around this Uh, we're just gonna have all the extras be really stupid and not notice after this point Uh, hi clark you're now wearing glasses it's fine we're just gonna act like you've always done this (laughs) like you said they've identified a problem that they need to resolve and then they resolve it in a way that just makes it not a problem anymore but it still doesn't make sense in terms of that resolution and kramer knowing his identity fine i suppose i'm surprised she didn't know it already it just removes a potential conflict that could have been interesting yeah, because it
0: just seems like the only conflict that they actually want is between the heroes and the villains, and anything out with that just gets in the way, and they can't be bothered dealing
1: with it. Yeah, and this is a natural point as any to talk about. The loss of personal lives, or the loss of civilian lives in this show. In terms of Team Flash, they don't have a life outside of Team Flash. Chester doesn't. He's fully committed to it. That's his job, I suppose. Which was the same for Cisco and Caitlin, but that made sense because they worked for Star Labs.
0: Exactly, because everything that they were doing with Team Flash was basically an extension of their actual job.
1: Yeah, and then you hand-wave it as Star Labs is still somehow making enough money to pay their salaries, keep the building running, pay for all this tech that the Flash uses, etc. It's somehow just generating enough income to do all of that. They never really explore that, but fine. I'm guessing there's a lot of patents that they just make millions on year on year? I don't know.
0: know. I honestly don't think they even thought it through that far.
1: Well, there was a point where they had to pay Sherlock. Oh, yeah. And Barry mentions they could sell some shares and Star Labs to cover the cost. Okay, sure. (laughs) I just thought you had an infinite pool of money. It's actually something you annoyed me by explaining, because you ended up making me ask questions about where this money is coming from.
0: And then there was a brief thing of trying to operate a flash museum Mm -hmm. and get people to pay for it.
1: It was a Star Labs museum at the time, wasn't it?
0: Yes, I think you're right, yeah.
1: But it lasted all of two scenes in one episode, so it doesn't matter. So it's nothing. But yeah, they talked about all that. You have to assume Barry gets a salary from being a CSI, but he doesn't even think about it because he's a millionaire. Apparently. Possibly a billionaire. Who knows? Not us. Not us. And not the writers, apparently. So I made a list in one of my reviews. or not quite a list, but I did comment on what some of the characters are doing outside of Team Flash. Iris runs a Media Empire that's successful, which... I guess we just have to buy, but at least she's doing something outside of Team Flash that's not just working with Team Flash. And that gives her, in theory, her own stories to play with. Chester, as I said already, essentially does what Cisco did, worked for Star Labs. Cecile, in theory, has her law practice outside of it that you never see anything of. But again, that could feed into the, here's what we do with... Metahuman threats as people in terms of making sure that justice is served to them and making sure that they get put in prison like they're supposed to but they do nothing with that and then the other one is allegra which they do something with this season but not enough and i was actually really dialed into the fact that her colleagues hate her because she's been put in a position of authority despite having apparently done nothing to earn it because she was essentially on some kind of criminal work experience program when Iris took her under her wing. And then suddenly she's the deputy manager or second in command of this... Deputy editor? Whatever the title is. And you've got these experienced journalists that have to listen to her when she has no idea what she's talking about. And it's an interesting example of nepotism, in a way. And it's really something that they flirted with the idea of playing with, but never did, because you had the Taylor character after Allegra pulls her story for one that she considers to be more important. And she just says, no, I'm going to ruin you. Your days are numbered. I'm going to devote every fibre of my being to making sure that you are punished for this. And then you have the episode where she finds out that Allegra is a human, and the problem just goes away. But I would have really liked to see that she is having problems at work. People don't respect her. She doesn't belong in this position. You could even push the boat out and just have her not be very good at her job and have no place doing it that's a brave choice that they could have played with but they obviously wouldn't because everybody has to be the best and brilliant and always right when they're on the, the hero side don't they you can't have disagreements or you can't have anything like that
0: I certainly would like to see that just with regards to Allegra having something interesting to do outside of Team Flash though the vehemence of the reactions of the reporters it bugged me a little bit yes it is obviously going to be frustrating watching someone be put in a position over you despite having little to no relevance. An experience just because they happen to be a friend of the editor but on the other hand these people are journalists and you'd think they'd be aware that in the world of journalism that kind of thing happens so you'd think it's something that they should be ready for and wouldn't shock them as to oh my god how would this thing happen because it should be a thing that they would have pretty much resigned themselves to happening at least once in their careers and something that they would presumably just have been expected to just accept and carry on with it so that level of vocalised aggression just didn't really ring through to me. That's
1: where it made more sense for Taylor to hate Allegra for a specific reason so yeah they can be frustrated by it but it's no reason to necessarily hold it against Allegra it's more of something to hold against Iris really or failing to recognise the people that actually knew what they were doing but hating Allegra for the reason of pulling that story and writing her own one instead, and compromising her opportunity to have a headline article or whatever the conflict was. That was the interesting part. And then that venomous reaction... That was basically her promising to ruin her and wait till she slips up again and pounce and come after her in that way. It's an uncommon problem in a show like that. actually. These professional boundaries and professional barriers that you don't see an awful lot of, and you certainly see none of in this show because they're not willing to explore it. And yeah, I would have liked to see just Allegra struggling to do this job because she just doesn't know how to do it. And she has to command the respect of these people that just do not respect her. And she has one person that is actively gunning for her. That would have been great to see play with, even over the course of a couple of seasons, rather than, well, let's resolve it by her revealing that she has powers and now they like her for some reason. Great.
0: Because this means that her secretism was justified, I suppose, but still actually doesn't do anything to alter the fact that she doesn't know how to do the job that she has been given, the job that she's been handed.
1: Yeah, and then it's journalists who don't notice that... Allegra is affiliated with Team Flash and Iris seems to favour her over everybody else and she may have a connection to Team Flash but who knows it's not clear what the connections really are or how well known they are but it seems like they could figure out hmm, there's something going on here we write a lot about Team Flash and favourably Allegra works with Flash Allegra's friends with Iris hmm there's something there
0: (laughs) I'm going to investigate this because that is literally my job
1: (laughs) And then they do this thing about, for some reason, Allegra's face is always obscured whenever she's caught on camera.
0: That was just another thing I just thought, sure, fine, whatever.
1: What about all the times she's just seen in public when people are running away from danger? (laughs) You don't see her shining a bright light from her face to obscure people's vision. You don't see any of this. Or even if it had been
0: established earlier that because of her powers, her face doesn't show up on film. At least
1: something like that. Except from all those photographs she apparently takes... Or whenever she shows up on Chester's live streams. I don't
0: know, I'm just thinking out loud of just literally any way that could have made it more interesting.
1: And what you're getting at there is that there's no relationship between Team Flash and the city. There's no sense of what everybody outside of the team know about Team Flash. The closest you get is just the names of drinks and jitters. Hmm. They have a drink called the Killer Frost and then they just change it to the Frost eventually because she's not Killer Frost because she's never killed anybody. She's called Killer Frost because that's what she was called on Earth too, and the name stuck for some reason. Except the public don't know that. Exactly, because again, it was never justified where that name came from in the first place. She also worked with Savitar, went to prison, all that stuff. So you have no real idea of what the public know or what they don't know and how they perceive these things. again, you never get that perspective. And you do a plot with Allegra in the newsroom trying to prove herself and you can do that. You could do an episode about them trying to write some story about Team Flash and then they can discuss how these things... Played out. Remember those Supergirl episodes where it's here's the events of the last couple of seasons, but from a different perspective because we're setting up a villain or we're setting up this problem.
0: Exactly. Here is how somebody not in the central super friend ensemble would have perceived all this going on, and this is how they would have reacted to it, and this is how it would have completely screwed them up. So after finding themselves caught in the middle of events that they literally cannot comprehend.
1: Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. You could almost have this, again, a transparent board with pictures on it. And it's, okay, so we started with the flash and then the flash was seen working with this We know he's connected to Green Arrow, slash the Hood, slash whatever he was calling himself at the time. We know he's connected to Supergirl, who obviously we're on Earth Prime now. She's always been here. Fine. Etc. You can do all this, but when did these connections start forming? Who's this? They only showed up last year. Who are these people? Why do they keep amassing extra people on this team? What is going on here? I'd really love that outside perspective of Team Flash. We're just never going to get it.
0: Yeah, because you could quite easily imagine some crazy basement-dwelling conspiracy theorist having a massive corkboard covered in photographs that are all linked together by red string. Yeah, it could be
1: interesting. It doesn't have to be the growth of a villain, it's just an opportunity to just see the status quo in a different light, which is always interesting, or not always interesting. It has to be done well, and this show probably wouldn't do it very well. But have a go. Let's see this. You do have this background that you can run around in and you don't use it. It's just
0: like everything with the central team is just window dressing.
1: Yeah. Which I suppose brings it neatly onto Chester and trusting the internet. (sighs) (laughs) He does these live streams where he sits there and he's all about open source tech which is great that is something that's very true about the internet the video game modding culture or whatever else we're going to work on this and we're going to share this because it's fun to share it we've built this platform that everybody can use the whole point of it is that it's open to everybody it works really well probably works better than a lot of official stuff you can get play with that and then it gets bought out by someone like amazon or something and they break it and make it worse make it unusable which is the way these things usually go but chester is a dumpster diving tech genius so he's all about here's these three things and a screwdriver and i'm going to show you how you turn it into this thing and he does that that's the way that tech works in these shows you get a couple of things you take them apart and you stitch them together in different ways and there's loads of wires and lights and whatever and it just does this different thing and then a bomb goes off and it turns out the detonation mechanism or whatever was based on one of his designs which makes him worry about no it doesn't make him worry about. it makes allegra worry about the fact that his followers might just be weirdos on the internet (laughs) Really, some of them would be. Okay, so maybe somebody has come
0: across some information on the internet and used it for something bad,
1: because that doesn't ever happen. Could happen. Turns out, in this sunshine world that the Flash seems to think exists, (laughs) or exists in only this show that's exactly what it is it's not as it appears it was an accident and that device somehow warned everybody to get out of the building before it blew up because they were so altruistic when building it and then it ends with someone hacking into Chester's system and then it comes to nothing At least this season.
0: During one of the early crossovers between The Flash and Arrow, I remember a comment that Roy made about everything in Central City always seeming less serious. He actually said, in Central City, it's always sunny, and the villains get given cutesy nicknames. It is quite a valid perspective. The only bad things that ever happen is people being deliberately destructive and malicious, and there's never any way that the heroes could have possibly contributed to that, even unknowingly or temporarily. And it's just not
1: how the world works. No. They drive that home as well when I think it's Lila that gets shot in that episode and Barry's like, ooh, people bleed here. uh, That's tough to deal with, to be honest. (laughs) To quote the Joss Whedon Justice League movie, I just push people and run away. That's the extent of what I do. (laughs) Yeah, it is. The idea of the world's a nasty place, or it can be a nasty place, but apparently only in Star City, not in Central City. Central City is fine. There's weekly apocalypses, but... just a bit of property damage, and maybe the ground shakes, people fall over, but everybody's fine.
0: And anything that looks like it's going to be too permanent
1: can just be reversed, somehow. Yeah, I was going to say I was disappointed. I'm not. It was what I expected. But the idea that Chester's followers aren't lunatics something that I just couldn't buy into at all. Because, of course, people would be watching that could pervert his tech into something horrible. And I really thought they were going to build to at least an episode where he has to deal with a villain that's powered by tech that he invented.
0: Exactly, and it would have given him a great moral quandary. Okay, so if this is what my designs and inventions are being used for, then do I really have the right to keep putting them out into the world? If this could be the result of it? But it ends up not being a choice that he actually has to make, because his faith in the inherent goodness and trustworthiness of the denizens of the internet proves
1: vindicated in the end. It's just completely unbelievable. I was much more in line with Allegra's perspective. It's like, you seen the weirdos out there? Apparently not. Have you spent five minutes on Twitter? <laughs> Don't ever do that. It's this absolute freaking hellscape of a site. Yeah, also, you're a tech streamer who's black, so there's probably some racists in your chat that you've had to ban, surely. Also true, yes. And there's probably been some pretty disgusting stuff said about Allegra whenever she makes a cameo appearance during his streams. Because, woman. Yeah, exactly. One thing I will say I'm enjoying is the slow burn towards the romantic connection between Allegra and... Chester. I really like that they're not pushing the button on it, how they're moving towards it but they're just not ever getting there.
0: Yeah, after there was that whole thing between them in the Armageddon arc, it would have been quite easy to have just thrust them together after that, with the reasoning that everything that was discussed there was all the groundwork that they needed to do to establish the relationship. I was actually quite surprised that it's something they're building towards more subtly
1: yeah, and they still haven't done it. It's still not happened.
0: I think overall it is one of the few actually genuinely positive things that I think you can say about this season. that They were a little more restrained in what they were doing with the characters rather than just shoving together and feeding off that new dynamic for a few episode B stories.
1: Although even if they had jumped on it, I think it would have been slightly better than Cisco and Camilla because you might have actually seen them interact other than... When she would appear here and there. <laughs> when you're supposed to buy that it's a serious relationship. And it's, I've seen them in like three scenes together or something like that. I'm not really buying it. But then they screwed up the Barry and Iris relationship because all you ever see is the milestones. You never see the day-to-day. So that would have probably been the same. But then they are together a lot just doing Team Flash stuff. So there could have been a really good opportunity just for a bit of banter there as they were doing that. Yeah, and It's one of the reasons why I have
0: never really bought Barry and Iris as a couple. Because... A relationship needs a greater foundation than one party having been obsessed with the other one since they were like nine, but were too emotionally stunted to ever sit down and have a real conversation about
1: it. Also, they're essentially brother and sister, and that's really awkward when they live under the same roof with the same father figure.
0: There is also that, but something I try not to think too much about. (laughs) (laughs) Although, to be honest, given just how popular the subgenre of porn around just such a setup is, nowadays i think it's probably something that everyone's trying to not think too much about you're probably
1: right yeah and yeah i don't buy them as a couple either for first that reason because you don't really see the day-to-day it's all about the intensity of the feelings and whatever else whereas if you look at other reverse couples and i'm not talking about as an absolute but oliver and felicity were generally better done they had the melodramatic moments that were tedious and horrible or ava and sarah they're probably the best relationship that they've done in any of these shows
0: I am glad to agree there, yeah.
1: Because it is the most natural, and you do see the ups and the downs, and you see the normality as well.
0: And how each of them perceived the other evolved and developed over time. Because to begin with, they each had preconceived notions of what the other one was like, and then over time they both gradually saw the other for who she truly was, and it was that that led to them falling for each other. Yeah. Which is what relationships should be like. It's what relationships are like.
1: Yeah, just... Take the time and, and let it be real in the context of time travel and clones and resurrected assassins and <laughs> whatever else
0: <laughs> and all the other demented insanity that the Wave Rider crew deals with on a weekly basis.
1: Yeah, but you can buy into the weird stuff because they get that kind of stuff right. Yes, and Allegra and Chester have the potential to be that, and maybe next season will be when it starts properly. Who knows? Or maybe they just will never get there, even though there is clearly something there and. You find out as much during the alternate erased future that, come to think of it, was hilarious when the dramatic beats at the end included them reconciling, even though it was about to be erased and it was completely pointless. It was a complete waste of time. Oh no, will this alternate future version of these characters that we're never going to see again get it together? Yeah, they do. Okay, well they're Mm -hmm. erased now, so what's the difference? Never mind. It's a bit like when Barry was thrown into that alternate future that was post Iris's death, and he couldn't go back in time to fix it until he got the team back together in this, again, about to be erased alternate future timeline.
0: You know, I'd actually forgotten about that, (laughs) just until you mentioned it, but yes, it is very much like that.
1: Yeah, it's exactly the same. We're supposed to... Care about these developments on people that we're never going to see again, or versions of people that we're never going to see again, so why waste your time with it? It just boggles the mind. But anyway, their connection is good, and I like the way they did it, and I don't want them to ruin it by accelerating it or making it too melodramatic or anything like that. But that brings us on to the Death Star mark. So we had the return of Robbie Amell as not Ronnie Raymond, as it turns out, and Caitlin was manipulated with her feelings for her late husband. Into bringing him back because Deathstorm was created in the moment where Ronnie died, took on his form and then the reason that it took so long is because he was birthed really far away and it took him this long to get here or something. Sure, fine, whatever. Don't explain things because it's worse when you explain them, apparently. I messaged you, it was after the finale, actually, or the first part of the finale where I said, I'm not sure if it's better when they explain things or when they don't explain things. You
0: did, yes. And to be honest, it's still a bit of a toss-up between them.
1: Yeah, because the explanation is never satisfying.
0: Yeah, because as I mentioned, it frustrates you when they don't justify these kinds of things and expect you to just go with it. But then when the explanations that they give you are even more stupid than pretending that there isn't one, then you just left wishing
1: they hadn't actually bothered. Yeah. I'm not sure if I missed something with the Star arc or whether it wasn't there. I think it just wasn't there. But was he supposed to be a remnant of Ronnie or did he just take on that form in order to manipulate Caitlin who was to become his bride? Why Caitlin? Because of the remnant of Ronnie or because he was based on Ronnie? Was there any of the real Ronnie in there? I don't think there was. So where's the meaning then, if there isn't? I think it was meant to be... The real Ronnie is
0: dead. Has been dead since first episode of season two. But I think Deathstorm was meant to be some kind of imprint of Ronnie's emotions. I think it said that while Ronnie was dying he was basically thinking about how much he loved Caitlin. And so that emotion was an aspect of Deathstorm's being. But because Deathstorm as a creature was so twisted then this became malevolence and obsession rather than genuine love. Because... That's the only way that it was able to process emotion of that intensity, or something like that.
1: (laughs) Then it feeds on grief for some reason.
0: Yeah, and it also kind of frustrates me that it took a while for that to actually be explained, because it meant that the first few people Deathstorm killed didn't actually make any sense in the model of their developing theory of what it was. And it wasn't until the episode after that, when it was brought up again, and it's like, oh, actually, this explains why these randoms were originally killed, the ones that we kind of forgot about and didn't mention again up until now. At the time, it seemed to me not like something that was going to be justified later, but again, there's something that hadn't been thought through properly and they'd just forgotten about. It just irritated me.
1: Oh, yeah. And I think from the Caitlin point of view, it was actually reasonably interesting, at least to begin with, because you had her in a place where she was ready to move on with her life. As in, she was pursuing a relationship with someone new. She was getting herself out there again. She was building a bit of a social life, even though you don't see her actually having that social life. But she says all that. They're not going to actually show you what's going on. They're just going to tell you what's going on. So we just have to put up with that, I suppose. But the whole idea is she's getting to a place where she's ready to accept what's happened to her, move on a bit and just hope for the best in the future. And then suddenly Ronnie comes back into her life and upends all of that and throws her through a loop. And she speaks to that guy that she's seeing that was also called Mark and tells him "Ah, oh, sorry this isn't going to work out because my dead husband's coming back and I've got to do with that <laughs> it's just normal relationship problems there sorry I like you and everything but my dead husband is coming back from Mark's perspective is he going to believe that is the world weird enough to him to believe that yeah most girls would just say sorry I don't think this is working yeah you're really boring see you later I don't know something like that just to get rid of him she let him down gently and I think the actual breakup scene was quite well done and at least you had that one episode where they interact before that point maybe it was more than one but at least she had some basis for it and the whole idea that caitlin was jealous of the fact that frost was out there living her best life and taking risks and having a adventurous existence along with i don't believe reformed criminal chill who i still cannot stand cannot stand the guy i think they did some decent stuff in the wake of Frost's death with him but i found it really annoying so there was that but ronnie comes back and then caitlin's being forced to revisit some uncomfortable emotional stuff that she just isn't prepared to deal with at this point because she thought she'd moved on a bit. and turns out she hasn't. And then it turns out this being, this entity, is just wearing Ronnie's face. And that's horrible in itself. Really got to screw you up a bit. But he's only
0: wearing Ronnie's face sometimes. Only when it's narratively automatically convenient. Yeah, and then the
1: rest of the time you get that really crappy CGI rendering. Like flame skull. Thing. You have to wonder if they could only get Robbie ML for a little while, and then the rest of the time you just get him in a voice booth.
0: I wasn't too sure of that myself, actually. It wasn't that clear when, or indeed if, it was actually Robbie Mel that they were actually interacting with on set.
1: They definitely were one or two times, when he was resurrected and so on.
0: Yeah, certainly, but others, it wasn't too clear when it was him or when it was just a tennis ball on a stick.
1: I think most of the time it was a tennis ball on a stick, and then it was probably voice... Work if that, although they distorted his voice that you can't recognise it anyway. So maybe it wasn't even that. But I actually remember being—I'm not going to say excited. I guess reasonably intrigued by the prospect of Robbie Amell being the villain for the rest of the season. I thought that's when that we going with it. Yeah, me too, actually. Because I
0: didn't believe for a second that it actually was Ronnie being resurrected. But yeah, and because of that, I actually thought that he was going to be this villain's presence. Especially since Robbie Mel has actually played a version of Deathstorm previously. The Earth-2 version of him in the second season. who was one of Zoom's minions. He was actually referred to as Deathstorm. Though just being evil Firestorm, not this primordial misery entity. So I actually thought that his presence was going to be a reprise of that. And it was just going to be this evil Ronnie for the rest of the season. But sadly, it was not to be.
1: No, it lasted like four episodes, if that may even have been less. About that, yeah. And then you had a couple of things that they tried to do in terms of forcing the characters to confront their grief. So Barry confronted his usual grief after declaring that, no, we've all gotten over our grief, we're fine. And then it was really intensified. And I can kind of buy it with him because he's intermittently overwhelmed by it anyway. Every time Speed Force Nora turns up, he's a bit conflicted over whether he can put up with her presence or not. And I guess he seems to have resolved the fact that Jay Garrick looks like his dad. He doesn't seem to be bothered about that anymore. Things like that. So I was okay with that. And then the weird thing is when you had Chester and Allegra separately dealing with grief manifestations and actually beating them. And Chester realising that my dad would never say this about me. My dad would be proud of me etc and then that kills off the manifestation that gets rid of it and then allegra who just recently dealt with esperanza's death so she was again in a better place to fight it off plus she rationally understood what was going on which made her able to fight it because afterwards she was like oh yeah it was death storm again it was esperanza but i know it wasn't real and then suddenly you have the two of them being overwhelmed by it later on and yes death storm had ramped up the intensity of it but i would have quite liked them to be consistent with the whole these two characters were able to beat it and therefore they are still able to beat it.
0: Yeah, it was uh, a frustrating inconsistency, and particularly because in these kind of situations, in any kind of sci-fi or fantasy show, it's very, very unusual for characters to actually display that level of self-awareness and rationality to be able to recognise an illusion for what it is, because far more often they just completely accept it at face value and are completely overwhelmed by it. So I was actually quite pleasantly surprised when they were able to overcome it, which then made it doubly frustrating when they didn't
1: later. Especially Allegra, because she was almost immediately on the page of, no, I know what's going on here, you can't get to me, go away. And then the knowledge is power argument, you have no power over me because I understand why this is happening. You have no power over me.
0: Sorry, Janna rewatches Labyrinth at least once a fortnight. Oh, right, okay.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. It's a bit of an esoteric reference there. And the Iris Eddie thing was good as well because it was a proper confrontation of that loss and the fact that she's essentially forgotten about him or seems to have essentially forgotten about him. It just seemed, again, to be
0: another thing that was just brought up because it was relevant in the moment. But we haven't seen enough evidence that those kinds of thoughts are prominent enough in her mind to be that effectively intrusive.
1: I think it worked though because of Rick Cosnett's performance is genuinely creepy performance and the fact that it gave you the insight into what Eddie might think it's I died like seven years ago and you've completely forgotten about me and you never think about me and whatever else.
0: Yeah, which did actually slightly amuse me of possibly being intentionally metafictional.
1: Yeah, and you had Sue there as well, being like, who is this creep? What's going on here? Yeah, I can never have enough of Sue. It is good that they didn't get rid of her when Ralph disappeared. But they didn't do much with her this season. She was just parading her about being rich most of the time.
0: Yeah, it's just like, I have tons of money, so I can be awesome in this way, rather than being awesome in a slinky catsuit kind of way.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk about wardrobe choices in another character at some point we definitely will the end of the death storm arc being well the death of frost for one thing but also that power up thing that they were trying to do to her didn't work because she didn't believe she was a real person and then it worked when she did believe she was a real person that was a confusing one i do think it follows slightly on from what they were doing with her as in the i've never had a life before arc now i want one that was pretty well done for the most part but then her suddenly turning around and saying No, i'm a product of caitlin i don't actually exist i have no soul or whatever she was saying where did this come from yeah you can't just throw
0: in a random existential crisis if there hasn't really been any kind of proper build-up towards it and the fact that frost apparently doesn't perceive herself as a real person doesn't seem to be doing much to stop her living as exciting a life as possible
1: it's just a pointless delay to the inevitable isn't it that's all it really exists
0: to do Yeah, it's another detail included that doesn't add anything doesn't mean anything and the resolution of which doesn't
1: change anything other than the fact that she dies
0: yes which also really annoyed me because she's actually one of the few characters in this show who is still interesting or at least I perceive as such anyway
1: She's more interesting than most yeah but it's also one of two characters that you can kill off without losing a cast member
0: That is true yeah
1: And I remember they advertised that a character was going to be dying as well they talked about it in interviews which is something that really pisses me off about the way that they structured the marketing for these shows as in Here's a picture of this hero in their full costume that you won't be seeing until later in the season, where you've seen an episode that introduces that they might want to be a hero in a costume at some point. Or in the case of Luke and Batwoman, you had no idea that he had any desire to be in a costume, but they released a picture of him as Batwing.
0: Yeah, so then it's like, oh, okay, so this is going to happen, so nothing that happens on the way to that is going to be the slightest bit surprising now. Yeah,
1: so they mentioned that a character was dying in interviews that happened to catch... And as soon as they said that, I knew it was going to be Frost. Just because of the way they were using her in the season, sometimes you can smell things coming. It's like when, well, Arrow made quite a good showing of the fact that we're building up to a character's death and they threw in a couple of red herrings and stuff. That worked really well. But then when you got to the episode where the character was going to die and they advertised, next week is when someone dies. And then the first five minutes, they start showing you how great Laurel's life's about to get. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Stop doing that in your marketing. Arrowverse, CW, whatever. Stop doing it because it's difficult to avoid. Exactly, because things like that are
0: are incredibly prominent, and it really doesn't take much to marry them up with how events in the actual episodes progress. So making those kinds of predictions ends up becoming pretty straightforward. It's a similar kind of thing that I get really irritated when a description for a film informs you that uh, there's a a twist that you won't see coming. (laughs) Yeah. Well I might have not if it hadn't told me there was one. Now I'm aware there is going to be one then I will likely see how it's being built towards and be able to figure it out beforehand. Thanks. (laughs)
1: It's like if you put someone in front of The Sixth Sense and you say to it before you press play, there's a really shocking twist at the end of this. It won't take much for you to immediately figure out that spoilers for The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis is also a ghost. Yeah, spoilers for a 25-year-old movie. Yeah. Actually, as a complete sidebar, when I first saw The Sixth Sense, I wasn't aware of the twist, but I figured it out as I was watching it because I kept thinking about the scene at the start where he got shot and how pointless it would be otherwise.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Then I started to notice he only talks to this kid and... There's a bit where he talks to his wife and she ignores him. She wouldn't ignore him. She'd shout at him or something. She wouldn't just sit there silently.
0: Yeah, and then
1: then when you rewatch the
0: film and you consider everything that had to have happened out with what the events shown in the film itself, then you realise it doesn't make the slightest bit of sense whatsoever.
1: Yeah, although I do think a similar twist in an episode of Supernatural was... Better. It was the one with uh, Trisha Helfer in it and it turns out she was a ghost yes, that actually. died on a road and the whole thing was she went off the road and she was being chased by what if the ghost was. Some gimmicky ghost and it turns out she died on the night some years ago where... The ghost appeared and she gets hunted by the ghost because she died on the same night the ghost appeared. That was a clever twist. Spoilers for season three, I think it was, of Supernatural? Or two or something,
0: yeah. Yes, and which again is, just going back to what I we was saying earlier uh, about playing with different perspectives, that was one of the very few episodes of Supernatural that wasn't told from the perspective of Sam and Dean. And as a result, their characterization in that episode was quite a bit more aggressive than as usually seen because that's how Trisha Helfer's character was perceiving them. Yeah. Because to her, they were actually pretty scary.
1: Yeah, and they would be. It's these practiced hunters that are just on the job. And Anyway, back to this show yeah. with Frost's death. I quite liked the episode afterwards where everybody was trying to honour her in their own way. Barry completing her bucket list, things like building a snowman on Mount Everest and stuff like that. That was some pretty good stuff. I think they generally handle grief quite well in the Arrowverse shows and The Flash has done a variety of takes on it but just everybody trying to find their thing their connection to Frost and trying to make that matter in some way Chester just putting her suit in a snow globe or whatever he tried to do that kind of stuff it Just I don't know, he has to do something he doesn't know her that well fine but everybody that did know her finding it interesting. and then you even had Iris regretting that she didn't know her better and then she did that podcast which is by the way exactly how a podcast is set up the way that she did it how it's set up completely <laughs> When you see podcasts in TV shows or films, I just can't. <laughs> Chris doesn't watch this show anymore and he probably never will ever again, but I sent him the picture of the podcast setup, and his first comment was, that's really bad mic technique. Because <laughs> 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 the microphones are nowhere near them. Great stuff. But anyway, she does that. She tries to get a bit of a flavour of how she's perceived by the public, which, again, is something they need to do more of. They did do an awful lot of it, but it kind of worked. And then Caitlin's got the, I'm not going to go to the funeral thing, which is a pretty standard arc for someone to follow, and then she goes to the funeral and steals a lock of her hair so that she can bring her back to life, but that doesn't work, and they have to do other stuff, and then the season ends with God knows what.
0: I can only guess that it's actually Killer Frost, who has been brought into existence,
1: yeah, or they'll just forget about it like they did last time. Because remember, after the Savitar arc, Caitlyn turns up to HR's funeral and she's got the white hair and she says, I'm not Caitlyn or Frost, I'm something new. And then the next season, she's Caitlyn again and becomes Frost sometimes.
0: Yeah, but that was obviously because they never actually bothered to figure out how Caitlyn's powers or the Caitlyn-Frost dynamic actually worked. They're just kind of like, winging it as they were going along.
1: And Daniel Panabaker often talked about that. She says, I don't know what they're asking me to do. I have no idea what any of this is. I'm just reading the lines on the page. And then at least when they split them off, there was something for her to latch onto there. And she got to play against herself, which, shout out to my interview with Sud Sutherland, the guy that directed the trial episode last Not last season Maybe it was last season Whenever the trial episode was And talked about How she reacted to Playing against herself And how grueling And difficult it was for her And how she rose to that challenge And yeah I do believe that there's two of them Because they do it so well
0: yeah, I've always imagined
1: that the
0: better it looks
1: on screen is
0: usually an indicator of how hard it was to actually pull off in production I'm not sure if you ever watched Orphan Black.
1: No, but we had this conversation before. Do it again the camera technique that they used to do that
0: Yeah, so it's a show where the central premise is that there's this group of women who are all clones and as a result are all played by the same actress and in the multiple scenes where they have to interact with each other the cameras were set up to move at the same time and at the same distance when each scene was reshot when she was playing different characters in it. And it was largely down to Tatiana Maslany's performances in it, which actually really sold the conceit because they weren't all variations of the same person. They're all distinct individuals and she played them all as distinct individuals. And it was just it's incredible to watch and try and hold the thought in your head that these are all being played by the same woman.
1: And Daniel pannabaker's along those lines, I think. I think she's that good
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, because right from the start of the series, she's always been one of my favourites in the show, and I did find it a little disappointing just how much of a reduced presence she had in it this time round.
1: Yeah, and I guess the death of Frost is in theory a recognition of the fact that she can't keep doing this, especially when it's not her show, because she probably does more extra work than everybody else does because of the fact that she has to film a lot of stuff twice. I suppose the other actors will have to as well. I don't know how they do it, even though I spoke to a director who kind of explained how they did it. But at the same time, it's one of those. I don't really want to know the entirety of how that sausage is made because these are complex group scenes. And obviously you have some easy ones where you cut to, say, Barry talking. You cut to Caitlin, she says something. You cut back to Barry, he says something. You cut to Frost, she says something. Whether those are the same people or not, they don't have to be filmed together and often aren't. And then you just do a long shot where everybody's in the same room, but they don't have to be there for the close-ups because... You can't see anybody else yeah but anyway frost dies so daniel panabaker gets to play one role and then she becomes obsessed with resurrecting her and you have this whole weirdly clinical scientific approach that she takes as in it's not about grief it's not about emotion it's about the science of it it's about the fact that it's possible and therefore that makes it right to do and they play with that a little bit the bit that i found really troubling is when barry finds out about it he forces his way into her apartment and just destroys all our work And then leaves. Yeah, it seemed a bit of an
0: overreaction. Barely even tries to talk her down or
1: anything. Yeah, he spends a minute just saying, this is wrong. And she says, no, it's not. It's science. Have a look. And then he's like, nope. And then he just zaps everything and then leaves. And if he feels like he has to make that strong display of authority, the cruel to be kind approach, that is a choice, And that is sometimes a valid one, as in people need some kind of strong stimulus to get shaken out of whatever they're dealing with. But he needs to be there for the aftermath. He needs to be her friend in the aftermath, and he isn't. He just leaves. And then wonders why Caitlin isn't returning his calls the next episode. Why do you think, Barry? Exactly, because she will have perceived what he did as an enormous betrayal.
0: Because it was. Yeah, and also the fact he doesn't actually seem to care how it would affect
1: her. And even Job pan-waves it. He says something like, I'm not going to say I completely agree with what you did. I and mean, That's all he really says. But Barry should have, as a friend, been there for her in the aftermath of that to help her understand why he felt like he had to do that. Not just trash everything and leave her to her grief and despair. And leave her to go down a dark path where she'll almost certainly find another way to do it, mm-hmm. which she inevitably does. Although she seems content to just let it slide after that as in she's going to try and get on with her life and then it isn't until Chill shows up somehow having designed some weird chamber that they get the parts for somehow from somewhere and build together this really complex apparatus that they make from scratch just themselves but he's the one that figures that out he does have a scientific background though doesn't he because his powers are artificial in some way he doesn't actually have powers he uses something I think
0: I honestly can't remember because the character is made so little an impression on me.
1: Yeah, the only thing that you can really define about him is that he has abs. (laughs) Everybody in the CW does, but that's one trait that they make you aware of. It's mandatory. Frost likes him because he is chiseled. That's the reason she liked him initially. But yeah, that whole approach, and it's again these decisions that Barry makes that no one ever holds him to account for. It's just going
0: back to this apparently a recurring thing, that people are reacting in this way because the plot demands them to. Because to actually discuss the emotional ramifications of the situation would be too complicated and take up too much time and we can't be bothered.
1: Yeah, we need to move on to the next thing. It's just disappointing. Which brings us neatly to the final arc of the season, the negative forces arc. And I have to say, I never considered the possibility of there being negative forces because I still don't understand the positive forces from when they introduced them. They seem to have moved away from them being Barry and Iris' children, in a way, which is fine, because that was stupid. So we seem to have forgotten about that.
0: Yeah, but actually, when the negative forces turned up and they were being all evil, I actually thought, wait a second, I've forgotten something here. Because I thought they were all left on relatively decent terms. Oh, wait, no, they're all negative now, but they've got the same forms as the positive forces. Because symmetry, I suppose.
1: Except from the negative speed force, which
0: is... Dawn? That's its form? Yeah, because yeah that's how it's working now because that's how they decided to do it
1: yeah because you had the dion betrayal where he betrayed barry and left him stuck yeah. in the still force and then it turns out oh that wasn't the dion you know it's the negative version of him and it was all along
0: Yeah, so that we mean it should have been the negative still force and not the positive still force i felt like i was either forgetting details or concepts has been thrust
1: forward without much justification I think it's the latter one, because it doesn't make any sense. And Yes, if you have a positive force, we already have the positive and negative speed forces, although we haven't really done an awful lot with the negative speed force, as in it's never had a personality in the same way. And I'm pretty sure earlier in the series, it was created by Thon. I think so, yeah. As opposed to just being something he tapped into, because it was something about he couldn't find a way to use the actual speed force, so he invented his own. And now it's a foundational force, but then we still don't actually know if Barry and... Team Flash invented these other forces that we're dealing with and if the speed force that now exists is the same one as before because they spent time building an artificial speed force. So did they resurrect the old one or is this their speed force? I don't recall it being delved into that deeply. It was more just in terms
0: of they birthed a new speed force whether it was a new one or a resurrection wasn't that relevant. But What was significant was the fact that it also gave birth to these three other forces.
1: I think awakened is a better explanation.
0: It is, yes, but that was the best verb I could think of in that moment.
1: They went down the birthing route. That was the explanation, but it didn't make any sense. And Speed Force Nora seems to be the same Speed Force Nora that we've always been dealing with. So it seems that they just restored power to the actual Speed Force, which we were before told was impossible because it was dead, thanks to the Spectre energy.
0: It's just another thing, if this thing's happening now, just accept it, and then we'll just kind of expect you to go along with it and not delve into the details too deeply.
1: Yeah. But the negative forces weren't anything. They were just the same actors and they were just sneering. That was the only difference. I think part of my confusion was because the actual
0: characters, for lack of a better word, were so similar. That's partly why I was like,
1: hang on, what's going on here? What have I forgotten? I don't think you've forgotten anything. I think it's just, it doesn't make any sense. But, yeah. but there's absolutely no baseline for their powers. They're supposed to be these foundational cosmic forces, but you don't really get a sense they're all that powerful. There is a mention of diminished power levels because of something, but again, it doesn't really come across then. You get Thon imbued with the power of all the negative forces, and then you get Barry imbued with the power of all the positive forces, but they still just run around and hate each other like they normally do. You don't get any real sense of these increased powers. And then you have Thawne doing an explosion for some reason, and then Barry reversing said explosion.
0: Yeah, because apparently firing out a 360-degree tsunami of red lightning is something you can just undo as if it's nothing.
1: It's on brand for the show, to be fair. That is true. So we're to believe that none of what happens in the finale actually really happens from a broader perspective. It's just a light show. That's all it is. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, I just didn't get it. And then you had the upset of the cosmic balance. So again, this is all Barry's fault, on brand again. He severs Thawne's connection to the negative speed force, which upsets the balance, which then inspires the other negative forces to try and take control because they realise that the balance can be compromised and that they can win. And then Thawne dying for real this time, honest, (laughs) puts an end to that. But all that does is preserve the imbalance because the balance is restored when the negative speed force resurrects him. And Barry upsets that balance by doing whatever he did and getting rid of them. And they acknowledge that at the end of the episode where one day the negative speed force will choose a new avatar and when that happens we will be ready. Did the other negative forces just give up their campaign for control? Why? It's never explained why because what Barry does actually helps them, surely. That was where I lost track of what the hell was going on. The only thing I can think of is that there
0: is some kind of fundamental difference between severing a force from its avatar and that force's avatar being destroyed it shouldn't make any difference in a practical sense but that's the only difference between the two situations that i can think of
1: but in both situations the avatar was destroyed
0: yeah but the original Thorn wasn't killed until after barry severed is linked to the negative speed force
1: yeah and then he gets resurrected through the other Thorn and then he's killed again What we're doing is we're trying to make sense of something that the writers didn't bother to try and make sense of before they wrote something in a script. Yeah, that is true. That's the problem here. We're trying to find a reasoning behind something that has no reasoning.
0: Yes, and I would just also like to bring up the query I messaged to you after watching that episode. When exactly did the default form of Reverse Flash become Wells rather than Thawne? Because Wells was only ever a disguise for Thawne. Thawne is who he is. It's like his physical state of being. But because the image of Wells is more closely associated with Reverse Flash than Thawne is, it seems like that's now the default state of being for some reason.
1: It's because Tom Cavanaugh is better at chewing scenery than Matt lecture is.
0: That's all it is. That is very accurate, yes. I'm not saying it's a bad thing from a dramatic standpoint. The more it's another thing that doesn't seem to quite make sense in a seemingly ceaseless litany of them
1: and if that is the last time we're gonna to see Tom Kavanaugh in that role that's really disappointing isn't it he doesn't do anything he just mugs around for a bit wears a different costume and then explodes
0: oh <laughs> well, seeing as Reverse Flash will come back at some point because he always does because that's even now become canon he can always find a way back.
1: No, no, no. He's really dead this time. Like Emperor Palpatine, he's really dead this time. They won't come back. That's it. They've done it. He's out. They're never bringing that back. They're never going to go back to that plot. It's done. Honest. They've said.
0: Yeah, so when he does. <laughs> <laughs> Probably at the end of next season. I'd be surprised if it isn't Tom Cavanagh that's playing him because it's just so much more compelling a performance. Oh, and also as well I think about it, I really love how they hand-waved the continuity snarl of Thawne being alive in Flash when he was killed in in Legends.
1: (laughs) Well, if you listen back to when Chris and I discussed that season of Legends, we just said we're just not even going to try and think about what this Thawne is relative to other versions of Thawne that we've seen or other timelines or whatever. We're just not even going to think about it. But it turns out that for some reason the writers' room on this show spent a lot of time thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Far too much time thinking about it because... They really bent over backwards to explain it to us. The Eobard Thorn that shows up with the Matt Lecher face, he is the one that was created by Barry creating Flashpoint. And then that was the same one that dealt with the Legends during their second season, who was trying to outrun his own non-existence because he's not supposed to exist. Then Black Flash destroys him in that season, I think. It's Black Flash that catches up with him, isn't it? It uh, is, yes. So then he's gone until he turns up and he's been repurposed as the guardian of a fixed point in time, which is the start of World War One. He has to stop people from trying to prevent the start of World War One. He does that for a while, does a good job. He's employee of the month or whatever. And then he ends up dying because legends get involved and he helps Sarah and ends up dying. But then some cosmic entity, whoever decides that people can control fixed points where we'll probably never get an explanation now because Legends was cancelled. Thank you, CW. Mm. They decided to give him a second chance, which means putting him into 2022 Central City around the person that hates him or the <laughs> most so that he can have a second chance. And his innate memories just have him just trying to gain speed again. Why? He's also a good man, though, because he's free of the baggage that made him Eobard thon so... He's actually genuinely a good man. It's the only example of growth I've seen in Barry in a long time, the fact that he's able and willing to recognise that. So kudos to them for that. But what a long, torturous explanation they gave us. And adding to that was that video message from Ray Palmer, who said, I was having leaving drinks with Nate... Who then told me this? Is <laughs> to give the final piece of the puzzle. As if anyone even cared anymore. Because if you just explained it as, "Oh yeah, he's a remnant of another timeline," that's all you need to know, and, and I'd have be been okay with that. But the fact is, we're going to try and place him in this set of events, and you're going to have to follow it to this conclusion. It just, and it's, and it's something that's been created and developed over two different tv shows where there was clearly no joining up of the writers rooms to think about these things and even in legends they didn't bother trying to explain it, it as here because he's here we don't even know we don't care he's just here and that's fine it's the most work they've done writing wise this season was to explain that yeah it ended up becoming just so hilariously convoluted <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the idea of a redeemed Thon as opposed to your standard Thon was an interesting idea. It's a shame that his face melted and he just became the one that we're used to. Because <laughs> it may have been quite cool to have him hang around for a bit. Exactly. Uh, and it would also
0: be interesting to explore Thon as a character out with the persona of Reverse Flash. Because he hasn't actually ever been seen before. And to see the kind of person that he could have become and what he could have achieved if, if he wasn't so obsessed to the point of insanity of destroying Barry's life in any and every way possible, Yeah, actually could have
1: achieved something. Yeah, such as when he was tapping into the negative speed force and he was put off by the fact that there was so much hate. And then you had that backed up by the fact that he saved Mina's life because she had a heart attack or something like that. And the only way to save her was to put her in the one-person use-only machine that gives people speed. You had the fact that Thawne... For the purposes of simplicity, we'll refer to the good Thon as Eobard and the bad Thon as Thon. That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, that works. So Thon backing that up by saying to Barry, I only think about myself. I'm that selfish. And the fact that he knows that about himself makes sense. He knows his limitations, but he also doesn't care because he only thinks about himself. He doesn't care what other people might think of that. So the fact that Eobard was able to perform a selfless act in that way shows that he's different and the fact that he did it for genuine reasons. And then his connection to Mina stops him from being overwhelmed by the negative speed force as well. So you do get him, even though they put him in the reverse Flash costume, because that's a bit of a cruel joke, isn't it? But he's able to help and he's able to not be redeemed, in a way he is, but he's more reset than redeemed, I suppose.
0: Yeah, it acknowledges that he is an actual person and that he has a personality beyond that of what he became as reverse Flash.
1: Yeah, maybe at some point he was a good man and then just something happened that then spiralled. Thinking more about it as well, wouldn't it have been an interesting catharsis to have him fight Thon, Eobard versus Thon? be some kind of finality to it, as in the better side wins or something like that. They could have really done something there.
0: Yeah, or he could have ended up sacrificing himself due to them being effectively the same person powered by opposite forces, and them fully clashing, leading to them both being annihilated. But him actually going into the fight in the full knowledge that that will happen and accepting it, because it's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, or Eobar just being accepted by the positive speed force as recognition of the fact that he is a good person. Indeed, yeah, that would also work. Any of these things would have had emotional weight to them. Instead, it was just, like I said, stuff happening. That was all they were doing, just making stuff happen. None of it meant anything. None of it was interesting. But I did like his relationship with Mina. I thought that worked quite well, even though you didn't see it for very long. You didn't see much of it. And then you had the obligatory Mina gets overwhelmed by the negative speed force and becomes evil for a little while. And their first plan fails, so the emotional appeal has to work. But I feel like they more or less earned that by that point. In reality, it could have just been, I'm just going to run around some more and she'll run out of power, even though Barry was sort of depleted of power. That's another inconsistency. Since when does the negative speed force cancel out the positive one in that if Barry is blasted by negative speed force lightning, he loses his powers for a little while? Just
0: because the writers thought it would be cool. Yeah,
1: and it wasn't. It sucked. Refer everyone to that video. I'll put it in the show notes from that. I forget what the YouTube channel is, but they did it inside the writers' room of The Flash parody where they listed all the things they did that's sure to get them cancelled and freed of this job and then the renewal notice comes in and they're all really upset
0: it's very rare that i can now watch a single episode of flash without thinking of that (laughs) it just encapsulates it so perfectly oh it's so good yes none of this makes the slightest bit of sense because we wrote it to not make the slightest bit of sense because (laughs) we want out of this we can't do this anymore
1: yeah (laughs) Attached to this arc as well Is the long-awaited Because we started it like a season and a half ago Explanation for why Iris has time sickness And what time sickness is And Wait for it The explanation is Negative tachyons What does that mean? Absolutely nothing Nothing Doesn't even make any sense (laughs) Uh. We've covered this before I think But a tachyon is a faster than light particle Or faster than light wave, one of the two. It's a faster than light thing. I think it's faster than light radio waves. I think that's what it is. So would a negative tachyon be a slower than light radio wave? Just a radio wave.
0: Or a radio wave that's going negative the speed of light. Because that makes about as much sense as anything else. It goes so slow that it stops
1: and then keeps slowing down.
0: That's what it does. Like something being cooled beyond
1: absolute zero. Yeah, which we've had in science fiction stuff before. Probably in this show, to be honest. They've probably tried that. But yeah, Iris is full of them anyway. She's full of negative tachyons and that's what causes her time sickness. And that's what causes Tinya's mother to disappear. Something that just gets resolved by, oh, she comes back, so it's fine. So any of that animosity that Tinya felt towards Iris is now pointless because it's dealt with. And she has negative tachyons and she has visions of where she's supposed to be or when she's supposed to be and jumps in front of Barry's lightning because she needs to die, but then she doesn't die. What's going on there? And you'll really get it. The thing that irritated me
0: most about that whole character arc was just how completely unconcerned everybody seemed to be that... Iris had vanished. Nobody knew how, nobody knew where she was. And they just kind of carry on, it's like,
1: nah, was fine, she'll turn up. Well, you did have Nora and Bart in the future saying, hey, we're still here, so it all must work out.
0: Yeah, but even before they turned up to uh, everyone with their logical perspective, there just seemed to be no sense of urgency and finding out where Iris was, or what happened to her. Which just goes completely against pretty much any kind of peril that the central characters have ever been in. Unless they're located, they could be gone forever, and we won't even know. They could have disappeared to the end of the universe, and no way of locating them. But this time, it was just dealt with so nonchalantly that people barely even acknowledge the fact that she was missing.
1: (laughs) And then Barry does point out to Nora, sometimes it takes a while for the timeline to catch up with changes, it's happened before, obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but it made me think of Savitar where, yeah, they change the timeline eventually he would be erased. It just takes a little while. That's something that's happened before. So Barry ends up contradicting that without actively contradicting it early enough for it to be set up as a... It could have been a ticking clock of some sort. It could have been something. But every time they just mentioned the time sickness plot, I felt myself just drifting off because there's no baseline for what any of it means. It just enables things to happen when they need to happen. So people just disappear where stuff just disappears, and then Iris maybe disappears herself and comes back and whatever, and Sue seems to be pretty comfortable being around her despite the fact that she could disappear at any moment because being around Iris seems to be pretty dangerous. Every time she effectively sneezes, someone vanishes into the still force or something, I don't know. There's no baseline for it. There's nothing to latch on to. There's no rules that you can follow. So it's just meaningless, just like everything else. And it was that, more than
0: anything, about everyone being so concerned about Irish's fate, that was quite a heavy indicator that everything was going to eventually turn out fine.
1: Yeah. Remember when we had half a season building up to our possible death?
0: I do, yes, and uh, I remember just how obnoxiously irritating
1: that was. Yeah, but at least it was attempting to ground it in some kind of emotional stakes, where this is, well, this is a problem, we don't understand it yet, we'll figure it out.
0: It was like, yeah, it'll be fine, don't worry about it.
1: It's just Tuesday for us now at this point. But then when she dies after Barry hits her with lightning, suddenly he's really upset about that.
0: Yes, and also he dies by being hit with lightning because the negative forces needed a sacrifice for some reason that was never actually explained. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And also, if it is a sacrifice, then by the very notion of that word, it should be them giving something up, not just painfully orchestrating random events to kill some woman at this particular moment.
1: Just artificially increasing tension.
0: It didn't justify why that was necessary or how that changed things.
1: Yeah, really confusing and strange and pointless, really. But at least the time sickness is over now, we hope, and they will never deal with it again, potentially.
0: Unless there's some kind of
1: applications of
0: that blowing blue crystal in 2040.
1: I was reading up on that. Apparently the reference could be cobalt blue. That could be what they're referencing. I don't know what that is or who that is, but that's apparently a possible reference. Okay. It's another speedster villain. But of course. Let's get excited about that. What do you make to the fact that the showrunner was talking about how this finale was planned as a series finale just in case the show didn't get renewed, in case they were told that was it. And he's claiming that this is a culmination of several years of plot planning all built into this moment. I don't buy that for a second. The only finality is that Thawne is dead maybe forever. And if the show doesn't continue, then sure, he can be dead forever, but as you rightly said, he won't be dead forever. He'll be back next season, probably, for the final 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 battle between Barry and Reverse Flash. But do you buy that this is planned as a series finale? If this was the last episode of The Flash ever, would you feel like, yeah, this was an ending that was being built to over however long? I kind of Felt like they were maybe heading in that direction when they were bringing Flashpoint back. Barry's first major mistake that there was going to be a reckoning for in some way. But no, didn't do anything with it. No, I think
0: that was absolute crap. (laughs) There is absolutely no way that everything they've done over the past however many seasons was in build-up to this because it wasn't. Virtually nothing of what's happened over the past few seasons, has any bearing whatsoever to these events. And to pretend otherwise is incredibly disingenuous and, quite frankly, a massive insult to the basic intelligence of your audience. (laughs) That they won't see through it as the painful lie it quite blatantly is.
1: I couldn't put it better myself. I just thought I would raise it because it's something that was being talked about as if this was some kind of grand plan for a long time. And like I said, linking it to Flashpoint seemed like it might give some kind of connection and present the illusion of a long term plan. But it didn't really connect to Flashpoint. The only Flashpoint mention was how Eobard exists. What I felt they were going to try and do is by creating Flashpoint, you allowed all of this to happen. Never mind the merging of universities that happened in crisis, that's not important. It was Flashpoint that was the problem. (laughs) I understand that
0: as a showrunner, you are required to at least present the illusion of control and planning in the show that you're putting out. But when what you're saying is in no way backed up and also directly contradicted by the empirical evidence of the last near decade that everyone has been watching then quite clear that you're talking out your arse people are going to see that
1: yeah exactly should briefly mention what they do with cecile we'll lump joe in here as well because i have a very clear connection that i can make about cecile and joe that they always forget about but cecile getting more powerful and she became a bit of a psychic vampire she was stealing psychic powers but was only doing that so that she could what was the name of the force the sheer force i want to say the psych force but it's not that sage force Sage Force. That makes less sense than what I said. I know. (laughs) She was chosen to wield more power because of her compassion because apparently no one else with powers is compassionate and she puts on a mask, screams a bit and then that brings back the positive forces and then that's it. There's again no emotional grounding to any of that and she gets asked Did that work? And she says, I sure hope so. Or something like that. She says, and that's it. (laughs) So you were doing this thing over a few episodes of, why is she getting more powerful? What's going on there? What's she going to do with those powers? turns out she puts on a mask, screams, and then everything's fine. And now she has telekinesis for some reason.
0: Yeah, while watching it, the thing that came immediately to my mind was Peter Petrelli from Heroes. Yeah. because at the beginning of the series that was basically his ability to absorb the powers of everyone that he comes into close proximity with
1: yeah although his powers changed to more like what Kramer's are as in she picks up whatever she's near because I know that Peter Petrelli's powers went through various iterations that's a lot of alliteration
0: <laughs> yeah because his power level was reduced after a while because they realised that he was basically omnipotent yeah and then it was changed in some way, I can't remember. He could only hold one power at a time, and then when he picked up a new one then he lost the one that he previously had.
1: Yeah, so that's similar to Kramer's power. She takes on whatever metahuman power she's near to. My
0: initial guess was that it was
1: being established
0: that she could intuitively gather the powers of anyone who she's near it would actually lead to her gathering the powers of the negative forces themselves, and then somehow using that to resurrect Iris.
1: That would have made some kind of sense, yeah. When it could have had a Potential emotional connection, even though it probably wouldn't have.
0: Yeah, but then that was what happened, and Iris was just resurrected by the power of love. Yeah. Which has actually always really bugged me, because for one, it's a gigantic cop-out, and two, it tacitly suggests that anybody else who has been killed and is not then immediately resurrected by their loved one, it was just because they just didn't love them enough, apparently. Because only Baron Iris' love is strong enough to transcend death. And that irritates the hell out of me. Felicity, you couldn't bring all of her back? Guess she didn't love him enough? Mm-hmm.
1: Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. But the thing that made me laugh about Cecile is when she was getting powered up and she was going off and doing vigilante stuff, just overwhelming people with emotions. And, well, before that, when her power first levels up, when she goes to the bank to put some money in because one of our clients pays in cash because we need an <laughs> explanation for that, she can't just be going to the bank to pay money in. We need a proper explanation for that. And then the bank gets robbed, which made me think of Free Guy. Is this just what happens in Central City? It's the time of day yes. where the bank gets robbed. <laughs> That's all that happens. Just at one o'clock, rob the bank every day. It's just so hilariously commonplace. But also the fact that nobody turns up to stop it. No one thinks to alert the Flash. Barry's not aware of it. It's just Cecile that deals with it. Because she makes people feel really overwhelmed by fear. Or whatever it is she does. But... After that, when she decides to go out and be a vigilante who stops people by making them feel bad, she puts on the tight tank top and the leather trousers. Her (laughs) pants are American listeners. That's her costume, the leather jacket, the V necklace. Hilarious. I'm wearing my badass outfit now.
0: And just as a side note, do random low-level criminals actually still rob banks nowadays?
1: They do in Central City.
0: Because I genuinely can't recall the last time I actually saw any kind of news report of somebody trying to rob a bank.
1: Yeah, but banks don't really hold that much money now, do they? This
0: is this one of those comic book conventions that just seems like never dies? Random criminals rob banks so the heroes can
1: stop them. Yeah, it's been something that's existed since superheroes have existed, I suppose, and it still happens.
0: I don't know, and maybe in the 30s and 40s. Bank robberies were more commonplace. I genuinely don't know.
1: You wouldn't get away with it now. In the real world, you just wouldn't be able to get away with it. There's too much security and cameras and everything like that. They even made a joke out of it in Legends with Sarah and Ava trying to rob a bank and they stole exactly <laughs> the amount of money they needed to get where they were going. Yes, That was Ava's compromise. We need like a hundred bucks, so give us a hundred bucks. Really nice touch. But the bank robbery scene was just hilarious. And then, like I say, her badass outfit. And it just feels like there's no real place for Cecile sometimes.
0: It has often seemed to me that Cecile is generally surplus to requirements in pretty much any given situation, and that her presence within the show is really just as Joe's partner and the
1: mother of his kid. She's Counselor Troy, because she stands around and then explains (laughs) how people are feeling.
0: Especially in situations where how a person is feeling is more than a little obvious.
1: It's just after Frost died and she's cutting about saying, yeah, I can really feel the grief in here. Of course you can! Someone's just died! To be honest, the most Interesting that she's
0: been so far was when she effectively became Psycho pirate.
1: Yeah, the mental health storyline was good for her. There's legs there as well with her legal practice thing. Again, that's a story they should tell in the same way that Allegra is a journalist story. It's something yeah. they should tell. But it's just an incidental detail that explains where she is when she's not in Star Labs. Exactly, yeah, because it's just a plot
0: device, not an actual developed aspect of her character.
1: Yeah, just to look back to the subject of the bank robbery. Why would you rob banks in Central City? Because you don't know how many superheroes there are. it the changes all the time. There could be three speedsters out there as heroes now. You could be stopped by anything. It doesn't make sense. Next season at be there. there's no crime in Central City because everyone's just trying cryptocurrency scams. They're trying to <laughs> scam people because the Flash can't stop that and then
0: they could have Chester fight it with all of the benevolent denizens of the internet.
1: He hacks into a call centre that's cropped up in Central City that's phoning old people to try and scam them out of their savings. They're doing a Microsoft refund scam or whatever. That would actually be an interesting plot. It's also very relevant to modern day. And it would be actually helping people. It would be measurably helping people. It would be interesting. Yeah,
0: and also casting crypto bros as comic book villains would be hilarious.
1: Yeah, try and outrun this flash. Well, he just runs in and zaps her. Servers or something, I don't know. People could do that, I suppose. <laughs> he just runs in and breaks their laptops, smashes their headsets. You mentioned Joe and Cecile's kid, Jenna, I think her name is, gets mentioned once this season. Sounds right. I can't even remember the reason for it being mentioned, but it's around about the time that Sing Commissioner Singh now, isn't he?
0: I think so, yes.
1: Whatever, when Sing identifies that Joe is struggling to find ways to spend his retirement, which again is a story they should have done when he retired rather than now he is still helping out with Team Flash and stuff so where did all this I don't know what to do with my time come from it's just something that they brought up but maybe use that time to spend with your daughter I don't know where's she? because Cecile's out working you're at home the daughter's nowhere to be seen where is she? did Iris zap her into the still force as well she might as well and when Jenna was born they did nothing with her after that point and even like Cecile has a grown up daughter that's never been seen since oh yeah something else I forgot <laughs> completely yeah but well, she's a teenager, I think. She was at college or something like that. I'm not sure what the age gap between Cecile and Joe is.
0: I've honestly never really thought about it.
1: No, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, they have a child that they might as well not have because they don't even bother trying to explain where she is most of the time. They occasionally say, well, I call the babysitter whenever they need to do some Team Flash stuff, but... Other than
0: that. Or, or everyone be quiet because she's upstairs sleeping or something.
1: Yeah, I don't even know if they do that. Just before a supervillain crashes through the front of the house and they have to repair it again. So yeah, that bears mentioning. But Cecile dressing up in her, I'm coming back to that, dressing up in her badass outfit just made me laugh. This is what she wears when she's doing superhero stuff.
0: Yeah, well, because apparently it's mandatory for any recent
1: superhero to develop a up for a Tight leather. Allegra doesn't seem to have got that memo yet. She just wears whatever. One of the last things we should talk about is another arc that they resolve. An arc that has lasted over the course of several episodes of different TV shows. I've been saying a lot this evening. (laughs) Yeah. The first mention of it being a thing was in Batwoman. And then, was it Supergirl after that? Maybe it was. I'm not sure.
0: I genuinely didn't care enough to go back and chart the chronology of it.
1: It was also mentioned in Superman and Lois, but that is... Not a thing now. Apparently. So that doesn't count. That's a different Diggle encountering the same problem, apparently. (laughs) Not connected to this one. It seemed to be resolved to a degree in an episode of Flash prior to that, where he decided, I'm going to go off and do this. I'm going to go off and see new worlds and whatever. And then his next appearance was in Batwoman, again, where he didn't know how to open the box. So he's decided he wants the power, but he's not opened the box because he doesn't know how to open the box. Now he's back here because the best person to ask about it is Thon, which I think is logical. If there's going to be anybody alive that knows about it, it's going to be Eobard Thorn, fair enough. He asks him about it, and then Thon's answer is, you have to really want it. And then he just looks at the box and says, I'm ready. And then it opens. But you were ready before, Well you're not ready enough, apparently. Or you have to tell the box you're ready for it to open. And then his face gets enveloped in a green glow. He sees planets and stuff, and then that's it and decide, nah, I'm good. That take me away from my family, so I'm good. So Diggle is subject to the memory loss that every other character in the show is when he's on the show, because he already knows that he's devoted to his family. He doesn't need to learn it again.
0: It seems to me that this whole multi- year multi-series arc for deal It seemed like it was being dragged out because the network executives were deciding whether or not they were going to actually let him become a Green Lantern and then have a series about that. But all that left us with was him stumbling around their cities doing a victory lap around the narrowverse, but not actually developing in any way towards what everyone had already assumed was going to be the ultimate destination. And so to just end it like that made it seem even more pointless, because it was just a nothing
1: story. It was Diggle learning a lesson he already knew, and culminating something that had potential in nothing, which is really fitting for finishing it off on The Flash, to be honest.
0: I did read this article that was on the higher-ups at uh, Flash, saying that the reason why it was resolved in that way, was because they weren't sure whether or not the Flash was going to get renewed. They'd been dragging out this story for so long, they needed to give it some kind of definite ending. But why exactly they decided that the best ending for it was to make it all so incredibly
1: meaningless, I genuinely don't understand. That's the Flash. That's what they do. That's the mantra on the show. It's just devoid of meaning. We can't have that. The thing about the contents of the box. I haven't gone back to watch the scene again and try and pick out what the voices in his head were saying or the cosmic voices were saying, so I don't know if there was any real tangible connection to the possibility of it being a Green Lantern but they were definitely setting that up because you had 90s Flash say, John, where's your ring? during Elseworlds and then they revealed that his stepfather had the surname Stuart and that Diggle was raised as John Diggle Stuart They took the last name for a bit and gets dropped it on his own, so they said he's John Stewart. That's who he is, and now he's well. He's just Diggle, which is fine because he was essentially an original character they could play with. It's almost the same as what they did with Quake in Agents of Shield. We have this character called Sky. Turns out she was Daisy Johnson Quake all along. I think that's what they were trying to do with Diggle at one point, and then obviously decided against it. Yeah, but there were those
0: more direct allusions to him becoming Green Lantern, but they were only added into the show after fans had been speculating for years that that might actually happen.
1: Yeah, and then when they did it at the end of Arrow, that was just as a bit of a, well, fill in the blanks yourself. Exactly. And then they decided to give him a bit of a victory lap and potentially commission a new show where he's the lead. The show I have affectionately dubbed Diggle and the Sexy Squad because he's going to be leading a team of young, hot university students who are also superheroes.
0: And because this is a CW, everyone has to be beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's the rule. And Diggle would be doing the lead for that, but I guess Diggle would be doing their training and stuff like that, but not as Green Lantern apparently, just as Spartan. So he'll wear a stupid helmet that still looks stupid, doesn't matter how many iterations we've seen of it, it still doesn't look good. (laughs) But he'll be doing that instead of doing it as Green Lantern, which I suppose is fine, but yeah, just forget about it. Just leave him where he was at the end of Arrow. And then the execution of the actual development was rubbish in terms of It's a scene that could have been anywhere. Other than the fact that Thorn was in it, it could have been in any show, in any episode of any show, because Diggle doesn't talk to Barry at all. He doesn't interact with anyone in Team Flash. In fact, he waits until Barry leaves, until he makes himself known. Hmm. So it lacks meaning in that sense, because it doesn't capitalise on the relationships that already exist either. So it's just nothing.
0: And it's precisely that nothingness about it is why I have nothing more to say about it really.
1: And if you only watch The Flash and I know those people exist I know there are people that only watch this show you'll be watching the scene you'll be thinking what the hell is this? What are Mm -hmm. they talking about? Because it's not anything that's been brought up in the show before other than the last time he appeared it was briefly alluded to and I have this conflict often I mean I don't care I'm happy for it to be a fully shared universe where you don't need to explain stuff to me because I watch all of it even though some of it I feel like is out of obligation such as with this show I need to watch this show because something might happen that makes sense in another show and I might miss it I never will because that's not how these things are structured but it's a conversation I also had around the Doctor Strange movie the new one Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness as in is it an accessible Movie, if you haven't seen WandaVision. And I still don't have an answer to that. I haven't spoken to anybody that's seen the movie that didn't watch WandaVision. So it's still something I have to find out one day. But the issue comes from the fact of do you want a shared universe or don't you? If you want a shared universe, you have to accept the fact that things are going to be picked up in a separate property, a different TV show or a different movie, and you'll be expected to follow it because it doesn't have time to explain everything to you. Because they've already explained it. They did that previous thing where they already explained it. As the audience, you should be just expected to follow along if you want a shared universe. If you don't want a shared universe, then yes, everything has to be internally consistent within itself. This Diggle plot isn't that because you have to have seen the other shows that meander through this very small arc that he goes through. I'm okay with it because I've seen everything, but it's that question of do you want it to be a full shared universe or not? And I think that's an interesting one. There's possibly a podcast in itself where we can discuss that. I think the notion of
0: shared universes can be a bit of a double-edged sword at times, because it definitely augments a series and films when their story is told as just one aspect of a much larger whole. And if you are familiar with all of them, then you're certainly going to get a lot more out of it. But then there's also a risk that if you aren't, then it is actively detrimental to someone's enjoyment. If the lot of it is integral in having previously seen all these installments of completely different properties. Going back to what you're saying about Doctor Strange, uh, when I watched it with Jana, she actually hasn't watched One yet. I did briefly clear into the relevant details, specifically regarding Wonder's inverted commas sons. I think in that one regard, it was straightforward enough to follow just because the basic narrative concept is pretty straightforward. Basically, Wanda had these two magical constructs who she genuinely believed were her sons, and now she wants them back. And from a narrative perspective, there's not that much more to it because that was basically her motivation. But from another way, when a friend of mine was taking his son to see Spider-Man Far From Home, he actually asked how much of the whole MCU saga it was necessary to actually seem to understand what was going on in it. In it. And I think in that specific regard, it was fairly straightforward enough because those are the introductory sequence explaining all the pertinent details of what happened during Infinity War and Endgame, and outside of the credit scene that only makes sense if you've seen Captain Marvel. It is pretty much its own story. But even the knowledge that they are part of this vast sprawling saga, it can evidently put people off actually seeing them, because if they aren't interested in watching every single chapter of it, then they are aware that there might be some holes in their understanding in the films of it that they actually do want to
1: watch. And I suppose as producers of these things, those making it have to decide what audience they want. Do you want the audience that's going to feel rewarded by the fact that everything's connected, everything leads into everything else, and it's not going to hold your hand all the way through? Like you said with multiverse of madness you did explain to your wife the high level stuff and then the film does tell you what goes on there as well it explains what's going on it doesn't necessarily give you the weight or the detail but you get enough to go on but then if the last time you saw wanda was endgame you'll be confused because it's what sons the last time i saw her she was standing next to a lake or something i don't know when did all this happen
0: it's quite a jarring leap and it's apparent that there's a huge chapter of her development that you're not privy to.
1: Yeah, but again, do the people commissioning the MCU care about that? Is that the audience that they want to cater to? If it is, then it means a lot of exposition and it will annoy the people that are invested and I feel like the Arrowverse has gone back and forth on this many times. Let's look at the first time they did the crossover which was season 3 of Arrow, season 1 of Flash, where it was essentially, you had a Flash episode that had Oliver in it and then you had a Arrow episode that had Barry in it and the casts of each show became guest stars in the other show but the episode itself was self-contained. Yeah. The second crossover was a two-part story that played over both shows. But again, part one and part two were distinct enough, I think, that you could just watch one or the other. And then when they did Crisis on Earth X, it's, screw it, it's a miniseries. We're not going to worry about whether anybody's keeping up with this stuff. For the story, we're not catering to that. You tune in to watch Supergirl, and then you watch characters that you've potentially never seen before getting married. What is going on? And then it goes from there. It just expects you to run with it in the same way that a comic book event does. You pick it up, and then there's characters in that arc that are lifted from their daily lives into dealing with whatever's going on in this event. And then you go from there, and you're expected to follow it. And then you had Elseworlds, which was a weird hybrid of the two so was Crisis on Infinite Earth as well, in some ways. So they didn't fully commit to it, but then you had the duet crossover. Is that what it was called?
0: The Supergirl episode was duet, yeah.
1: I think it was the Flash episode it finished in. The musical episode was on Flash, I think. Yeah, it was, because they went over to Earth 1 and dealt with that. And then you get the resolution to Monel and Kara's relationship troubles in a Flash episode. So if you only watch Supergirl, you see this weird cliffhanger that then isn't picked up in the next Supergirl episode. <laughs> and then you just continue on and her and Monella are a couple again. So if you're only watching that one show, you're going whiplash. you will be like, what the hell? Did I miss an episode? Turns out you did, yes, but it was off another show. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a constant balancing act that these writers and producers are going to have to keep playing with. And from my point of view, I'd rather be handheld as little as possible because I am watching everything. I understand the texture of what Wanda's dealing with in Multiverse of Madness, but if you haven't seen WandaVision, you might not have that in crisis on earth x i understand why barry and iris are getting married but a viewer of supergirl might not etc so who's your audience and what are people willing to put up with and i suspect if you're maybe only watching the one show you're maybe not fully invested in the whole crossover nature of you might not care anyway i'm speaking for these hypothetical people that don't exist i don't know what the answer is because i only know my perspective my perspective is i watch everything so therefore just keep going keep the momentum going because i already understand this so the diggle thing i have seen that arc progress across different shows and i'm fine with it but if you're only watching the flash you'll be sitting there thinking what the hell is this because it's a scene that means nothing to the rest of the episode at least when he showed up last time he was involved in whatever the plot was of that episode exactly it's a difficult balance to strike especially when
0: as you say the level of audience understanding for each of the properties seems to vary every time depending on what they want to do with any given story
1: yeah and the thing about the Arrowverse is it's less accessible than the MCU in that respect because if they want you to believe that you have to watch everything to understand everything that's going on, that's hundreds of hours of content. 20 episode seasons of five or six shows or whatever it is for quite a while until it all peters off as it is now. And the MCU is sort of heading in that direction as well because they brought in the Disney Plus shows and then Multiverse of Madness very explicitly performs kind of a sequel to one of those shows. Yeah. So... It's a bit more complicated in that respect. But if you are only turning up to watch the movies, then how much hand-holding do they need to do for you? And that's not relevant to discussing this, but it's along the same lines, I think. And each individual audience member will enjoy it for their own reasons and they'll be to follow it for their own reasons. So multiverse awareness might be completely inaccessible to some people because you're confused as to what the hell Wanda's up to because you don't have the detail is what I'm getting at. But on this, it's the same thing with the Diggle thing because you don't really have that Context. Although, if you are a Flash viewer, you have some limited context, as in the last time he was here, he had a problem with some headaches or whatever. I can't remember how much detail they went into. I think
0: in this case, certainly, there is the assumption that Diggle's whole arc, wandering through the various shows, is done to cater to people who are just watching everything and was certainly brought to a conclusion with the assumption that that's what the people who have been watching these moments and taking them in since the finale of Arrow will actually want.
1: But at least previously he was involved in the story the episode was telling and then whatever he was getting up to outside of that was just an incidental thing that you could possibly ignore whereas this wasn't this was just here's a scene resolving this and nothing else.
0: Exactly. It's like it was just kind of tacked on as an afterthought. Oh by the way we're finishing this season so we're going to finish this story now as well because we didn't know if we'd get to carry on when we actually filmed this. So this is what you're going to get. So be happy with it because you're not going to get anything else.
1: thing is, though, could he not have just become Green Lantern and helped Team Flash fight someone and then decided to give it up after that point?
0: It certainly would have made a lot more sense.
1: Yeah. Because Diggle certainly had
0: enough experience with the likes of aliens and cosmic forces to be aware that whatever this thing is, it's going to be a major upset to his established life, which by its very nature would intrude on how much time he would be able to be with his family. So it doesn't really make sense for him to only realise that in the final moment when the specifics of what's being asked of him are finally being shown to him. He should have at least partially figured that out on his own. Definitely. So it's just concluding this with an understanding and revelation, both of which he should have come to long
1: before now. Yeah, so we could have had one sequence of him as Green Lantern then deciding, nah, this ain't for me. And then the ring disappears. Yeah. Then you get to have a bit of fun with him With that amazing power And then you get to restore him back To just being a normal guy That works But no, that's not what they did
0: And it would have been a far more satisfying conclusion
1: as well Yeah Between this and Deathstorm Do you think this is them essentially Done with Blackest Night? They just wouldn't do it now I would actually genuinely love to see some kind of
0: version of Blackest Night be adapted. It's an incredible story.
1: What is it, the Green Lantern Corps fight death or something like that? It's essentially the high level, isn't it?
0: Yeah, we see it come up against the Black Lanterns, whose rings are fueled by death, and they are literally charged by killing people. The Black Lantern Oath is just magnificently gruesome. It's done in the same rhythm as the Green Lantern Oath and all the other core Oaths. That actually goes like, the Blackest Night falls from the skies, the darkness grows as all light dies. We crave your hearts and your demise. By my black hand, the dead shall rise.
1: And I just love that. <laughs> Let's do one last hurrah for the Arrowverse that is just Blackest Night. Bring back Oliver as the spectre. Bring back everybody. Let's end it on a bang. Let's have our last hurrah be that.
0: That would work for me.
1: But it's not going to happen. It's just going to whimper out when the Flash finally ends. Or maybe giggle in the Sexy Squad or pick it up. <laughs> that will be set in another universe as well Or it'll be set in the same universe as Superman and Lois Because there's a Diggle there too Yep.
0: Yeah. Or they could have Courtney Whitmore come like bursting through dimensions somehow And try and figure out what the hell's going on here
1: Or it could be set in the Gotham Knights universe Because that's got legs hmm. No, let's not encourage it <laughs> So, Blacketh Knight, I mean that's the only connection we've got Is Deathstorm, isn't it? So there's nothing really more to it than that But yeah, so Diggle We got an ending to that Of sorts And that was it. But on that note, I think we're pretty much done, don't you? I think so. I think that's everything. The only thing I really did mention is that Mina, she has powers and then doesn't, and she's over. But I liked the character. She was a good bit of energy. She reminded me of Sue in that respect, as in she was a different presence to everybody else. She was an interesting character. I can't see them bringing her back because she doesn't have powers and there's no room for anybody that doesn't have powers in this show anymore, other than Chester, who has tech powers. She'll go and join Tracy and whatever the name of that other scientist was in the time travel episode. They'll go hang out in the underused character place. Hmm. They can hang out with Lex Luthor's missing brother from Smallville, Lucas Luthor, that turned up in one episode and has never seen or heard <laughs> from again. You know how, in, how it should have ended? They have the villain pub. Yes. The underused character pub, your location of some sort, cafe, whatever. They can go sit there. Yeah, we've forgotten about. Patty Spivot can show up to all those people that just disappeared anyway any final thoughts on the flash season eight or anything we didn't cover that you really want to cover not
0: much really just really to reiterate what an enormous disappointment it was and also how disappointing it is that such disappointment is now standard <laughs> and just to vaguely hope without much conviction that the next season will Somehow be better.
1: That's fair, yeah, I echo that. I can't say I was disappointed by the season, I got more or less what I expected, and there's a couple of good episodes or the odd moment that I enjoyed in there. I like the actors still, I like some of the characters, I like what they do with them occasionally, but it is few and far between. I do sometimes find myself slightly surprised by, oh, I quite enjoyed that episode. It's all grading on a curve at this point, it was better than the previous one, or it was better than the average or whatever but there are still some things in there that they do okay i really hope next season is the last season and that it's better and that they find some way to wrap it up that it is actually wrapping it up but i doubt it this is supposed to be the culmination of several seasons worth of work and it just wasn't so we've got that that's a thing that is happening next season the arrowverse may end next season because they cancelled everything else. And Superman and Lois has disassociated itself with the Arrowverse, which is a bit of a shame. Such a shame this thing that we've spent years talking about, writing about, invested in, just ends on such a whimper.
0: Yeah, it's almost like they're saying that maintaining it is too much an effort and they can't be bothered anymore.
1: Yeah. And there's corporate stuff going on that I don't know an awful lot about and don't really care about, but yeah. that's all happening. So there we go. That was our cathartic, therapeutic discussion about season 8 of The Flash. I would like to thank Isaac for the supplied artwork and Neil Stenson for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you heard here then please do subscribe to us on Spotify Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Lots of places let you review an app just now such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify and they have stars as your rating. So Andrew what is the rating number that you would like?
0: That would be one star for every finger on your left hand unless you are a Yakuza. Basically I'm saying five.
1: Okay, we got there end. give us five stars and a comment if the facility exists to give us a comment but otherwise you can just subscribe before you listen to this we'll probably have a subscribe button so please press it and if you want to discuss The Flash Season 8 The Flash in general the uh, reverse DC stuff anything really Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on NailBeforeBlog.co.uk. Andrew, thank you for joining for the annual mauling of The Flash. It's much appreciated. I endeavour to make myself useful. That's all we can ever ask. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Plot.